If you've listened over the last few weeks, you probably already know that we are sponsored by Plum. Plum is a money management app that lets you invest and build your savings. As I've talked about recently, I've been investing and saving using Plum, and it's nearly Halloween, which means Christmas is right around the corner. And I think I'll be using some of what I've saved up for some Christmas presents. Previously, I've had a 90% each week going into my investments and 10% into my savings account, but with Plum Splitter, I can change this to save more instead of investing. And with Plum's automation, it will deposit the money automatically and I can make sure it will never be more than I can afford to save each month. So if you'd like to join me in saving up in preparation for Christmas, check out the link in our show notes to download Plum, support us and get started today. As always, when it comes to investing, your capital is at risk and the value of your investments can fluctuate. Thank you again to Plum for supporting us. And now it's time to start this week's episode. Everybody and welcome back to season nine of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, Matt Stockton. Have you ever sequelized on cocaine, Jack? Um, it's nice. I don't think I have. No, we haven't even sequelized like being slightly drunk or anything like that. No, no, I've done drunk podcasts before. Tired a... and sugar high might be the only thing we've got. I had that really bad headache one time. That was true. Where I was barely conscious for like the second half of the episode, I was just leant against the sofa like. That was the Matrix Superman. Was double that bill? the Matrix Superman double bill? Right. Yeah, that was one of the longest recording sessions we've ever done because mm-hmm. we used to double record, even when the episodes were shorter. That was torture. Yep, that, that was bad. Um, I think I've done it. I've drunk like energy drinks and stuff <laughs> beforehand. You stay before. quiet, Tim. You're not coming in yet. <laughs> Don't introduce Tim before I've introduced Tim. That's what I'm saying I'm the captain of the outtakes. Yeah. And speaking of people who do podcasts on cocaine, joining us. Also, as always, <laughs> it's Tim Mason. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Jack's behaviour is driven by what we call a risk addiction, a compulsive need to prove to himself that he can take risks and survive dangers others can't, especially the subsequent encounters with the sequelizers. <laughs> uh, very good, very good. Very much true, yeah. I'm known as a, as a risk taker in these parts, right, guys? No. No, I'm very... very risk risk taker, heartbreaker. <laughs> <laughs> middle lane boy soon to be married middle of the road milk toast kind of dude that's me <laughs> oh dear well we are probably gonna get a bit sexy this week listeners <laughs> i'm just just putting out there right now if you've got the kids who usually listen to sequel lines with you first of all probably learn some bad language for us I'm sorry yeah that's 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 a thing that happens i learned mine from like eminem and playing in the car and stuff when i was a kid Maybe kids are learning their swear words from sequelizers. Who knows? <laughs> Might as well. YouTube so, is so proud of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know some people on our Discord are parents and stuff. And Yeah. But to be fair, it's not going to get sexy. It's just going to get graphic. Yeah. But like watching like, you know, in a science class, a birthing video. And you're like, I kind of didn't expect this to be the, what I thought it was going to be. And I'm now like, I don't know if I want to keep watching slash listening to this anymore. It's like, sure. Why? What did you think it would be? I thought it'd be sexy. <laughs> Fucking ain't. <laughs> oh dear. Well, uh, if that tease wasn't enough for you, listeners, <laughs> we are in fact fixing Basic Instinct Two this week. I don't think we're going to get a bit sexy. Matt seems just some weird, like graphic, grossed out shit. I don't know why. <laughs> Jack missed part of the outtakes. Dude, got graphic. 
you got that to look forward to. I have. Yeah. Hell, yeah. forward to you for and the, the listeners. <laughs> yeah. For the second time ever, apart from the first Patreon live stream, that is the second piece of Sequelizer's content that doesn't have me on it. Because oh, Matt, you did a solo live stream. I did. I've been in everything. And yeah, yeah, you've been in absolutely every single moment. Orifice. Yeah, mm. every orifice. Yeah, welcome to Basic Instinct. <laughs> oh, I've missed two. I can't believe you. the gap is widening here. <laughs> I'm slacking. The, again, this sexual language here is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jack writing his uh his own memoirs. The uh, gap was widening. Mm. I was slacking. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> I didn't even make it. You made that sexual. I told you, graphic. Strap in, listeners, and strap on. Well, speaking of strapping in and strapping on, let's say thanks ever so much to the lovely people on patreon.com slash sequelizers. Shall we, gentlemen? Yes. Yes. Thank you both. I appreciate the confirmation. You can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. You can get ad-free episodes. You can get early access to all the episodes. You can get outtakes. We mentioned earlier there's some sexy stuff that even I haven't heard. It's so exclusive. Too not hot even, to handle. Not even the host of the show has heard it. It's too hot for TV. Because we're not on TV either. So yeah. <laughs> therefore it is. Who the fuck is on TV? That's a good question. I assume, I assume there's podcasts. Philip Schofield. Yeah. Do we have him as a guest on a live stream one time? Just get get old Scoff in here? No. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I feel like his film opinions are shit. Yeah, probably. Well, if you don't want to be like Philip, don't be like <laughs> Philip Schofield and come join us on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Segway. I'm a professional, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, you get early access, ad-free episodes, exclusive merch as well, outtakes we mentioned during the main seasons, whole exclusive episodes during the inter-seasons. Mm-hmm. There's loads of bonus stuff mm. you can get if you go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. And if you go to the highest of the tiers, you can become an executive producer and get your name read out on the show, just like these fine gentlemen have. Jonathan Firth-Clark. But, you know, I saw this movie this year called, last year called uh, Basic Instinct. Okay, now, Bill's quick capsule review. Piece of shit. Okay, now. Josh Van der Sluis. Don't get caught up in that fevered, hyped, phony fucking debate about that piece of shit movie. Xenos. Is it too sexist? And what about the movies? Are they becoming too... You're, you're, you're just confused. You don't, you've forgotten how to judge correctly. Take a deep breath. Look at it again. Oh, it's a piece of shit. <laughs> exactly. That's all it is. Josh Miles. And then I come to find out after that film, all the lesbian sex scenes were cut out of that film. Because the test audience was turned off by them. Boy, is my thumb not on the pulse of America. Michael Belcher. If I had been in that test audience, the only one out front protest in that film would have been Michael Douglas demanding his part be put back in, all right? Mike Salvia. See, Mike, the movie started. Sharon Stone was eating another woman for an hour and a half. Then the credits rolled. I, uh, I don't remember seeing your scrawny ass, Mike. And our latest executive producer, Mr. James McDowell. Was Bill Hicks in that test audience? <laughs> Goat boy called it like he saw it, Mikey. You made your 14 mil. Now hit the fucking road. Well, if you want to join those, like I said, go to patreon.com slash 
sequelizer. Thank you very much to everyone who supports us. And thank you especially to those lovely executive producers. Always exciting to have a new one on board. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, it yeah. doesn't happen often. We like adding to those little ranks and seeing people. I think James like joined the Discord, joined the Patreon, and like subscribed to our YouTube channel all in like fifteen minute period. I was like, Oh my god, mm. hello. <laughs> well welcome to the community. This is yeah. amazing. So yeah. Lurking in the shadows for a long time, like a boy. Yeah, yeah, I think it was long time listener, first time caller kind of moment where yeah. I'm like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And this was the episode we introduced you on. Yeah. yeah. Welcome, James. So- sorry slash you're welcome, depending on how horny you're feeling right now. Because <laughs> let's talk about Basic Instinct 2, shall we? And you know how we often do, we kick off with our history with the franchise. And as often is the case with me, my history is about a month ago. And that's about it. I had not seen either one yeah. of these movies until earlier this month. So... Yeah, that's that's me done. Matt, how about you? I found the exact <laughs> quote. Hang on a second. Oh, have you got an have you got an exact date and exact moment? This is the the moment Matthew became a man. <laughs> no, I just want to make sure. When he realised ladies had bits downstairs as well, and he was like, <laughs> "Hello, <laughs> my God, my Barbies have been lying to me." <laughs> so can sweet. we please get Catherine Trammell Barbie? <laughs> oh my God, it's not Jesus. just not nice just weird printed on underwear down there. <laughs> I'm trying to think which came first. Oh, fucking <laughs> hell! Um, I'm ready for this, listeners. It's going to be a sexy one. Carry on, film. Um, I I think, in all honesty, it was me watching Bill Hicks doing one of his stand-up routines, and he was in London, and he's talking about Basic Instinct two. I'll give you my, you know, Bill's closed capsule review. Um, Basic Instinct, piece of shit. And that was it. It's like, oh, do you think it's challenging? Do you think it represents? No, 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 no. Piece of shit. <laughs> so I remember thinking, fuck is this movie? And then because again, we're talking about maybe late 90s, early 2000s. And I was working in... As a waitress in a cocktail? No, yeah. yeah. Um, different time in my life. No, I was working in Woolworths, which is no longer a thing. And it's not in Britain. <laughs> and... The special edition DVD came out, which oh. was in a big plastic case that looked like ice. It was oh. stupid. What are you going <laughs> to say, a vulva? <laughs> no. Oh. Um, no, it was, it was, it was shitty, but I thought, I haven't seen this thing. Behoven, okay, I'll watch it. I'll see what it's about. And I kind of just watched the crime aspect going, oh, okay. And then we get to the whole over sexual overtones and things, and I thought, not as risky as I was expecting. Oh, interesting. I was like, again. I, so, how old were you? Would you have been at this must time? Have been like eighteen, maybe oh, seventeen. Oh, okay. It's probably seventeen. Huh? Um, so shouldn't have bought it because <laughs> <laughs> it's very eighteen. It's yeah, be. yeah. But the point is, it was like, yeah. Um, this is a sixth form sort of era, basically. Mm. Um, outside of high school, but high school for America. Just before university for correct. For, yes. Yeah, everyone else. And I watched it and. Obviously, yes, there's the risque uh, leg scene. We'll come back to all this stuff, don't worry, listeners. Um, the scene where Sharon Stone uncrosses her legs and you get a look up inside her. Um, we'll get to that. Obviously, it's the most famous scene. And it is the most Even Even yes. you listeners mm. who haven't seen either of the films, you probably know or have at least seen a reference, as oft- I often do with like The Simpsons mm-hmm. and all the kind of like, the pop culture moment that everybody references. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, I expected it to be more graphic. And I was like, interesting. Ha. Huh. All right. Um, 
and I was listening with like director's commentary and stuff because again, learning about the film and mm. the making of it and stuff. Like, oh, okay, interesting. Um, and you know, the actual noir esque, you know, femme fatale style narrative. It's uh, it's okay. It's yeah. It's about agreed. Yeah. yeah, the idea of you know manipulation through sex and empowerment and yeah, yeah, yeah. Those themes are interesting mm. and, and there. And I'm I'm I would say it's fine. It's not good. I don't particularly enjoy it. It's not as racy and horny as I hoped it would be. I'm like, eh. And this is, by the way, this is the days when the internet didn't have broadband. It was <laughs> dial-up. Mm. You didn't get videos. You got pictures. Yeah. If you had a video, you had to like download a torrent. Turns out it was a virus. Mm. Um, then I saw Basic Instinct 2 um, because I was so curious about this hellish <laughs> production. So what was the difference in time between 1 and 2 for you? Did you get the, so you got the box set at the same time, right? Is that what is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. So the, no, so the, I watched the box set of the first one in in like um. So I was seventeen. That'd be two thousand or two thousand and one. So right, right. We're about like five years later. Yeah, yeah. Um, much more critically minded at this point, and like, okay, now this film, I understand the first one. What's the second one going to be? And then watched the film and thought, oh, dog shit. Yeah. Utter dog shit. A lovely adventure in that there blighty. Yeah, we'll get back to that. I would say so. so will. My experience we'll, is that we'll I watched the, the synopsis first one. and stuff, listeners. Don't worry. Yeah, we haven't, we'll, we haven't neglected that. We'll fill you in. Don't worry. Huh? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> that sound bite. I'm gonna fucking drop that in everything in the edit. So every five seconds, like Jack's pretty over, overkill. Like yeah, huh? the edit. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Huh? <laughs> so initially, as I say, my my reaction is heard all the stuff surrounding it, saw the lampooning, saw the various things that referencing it, and thought it was perfectly fine and then the sequel was hilariously awful but also i should point out very few people actually cared about it it did yeah, not make any yeah, impact yeah really tim how about you very similar to matt actually Ooh. uh the, i because i was a a, a a more innocent teen my first experience we, of it we didn't need you to tell us that i think that was just a given <laughs> Uh, just two photographs yeah. of us, like, which one of these two is the innocent one? Yeah. <laughs> which one was already desensitized and depraved by 17 <laughs> years old? Hello. <laughs> my my comedy inroads to Basic Instinct was not Bill Hicks. It was terrible uh, BBC sitcom Birds of a Feather. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a bit where they go to Los Angeles for some reason. Jesus. And um, I, think it, I think it might have been like a Christmas special. Oh, yeah. Because they go on holiday. Yeah. Know, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and they think they spot Sharon Stone in a restaurant and they both like bend down to look under the table basically. And then they recognize her by her vagina. Exactly. And then go like, no, it's not her. Um, uh, it's classic. Yeah. Not a great joke. But it's it's shit like that. That is, it so like became such a pop cultural thing that there was like, you'd get the fairly innocent versions of it and then shit like that where it's like. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into why that's a be more of a problem considering the production of the films and mm. stuff like oh, that yeah. at the moment. But yeah. yeah, so that that I was like <laughs> that was kind of like what is this thing that's being referenced kind of thing? Um yeah. and uh yeah, I think I would have been about yeah, like eighteen, nineteen, twenty when I saw it. Yeah. You know, that kind of like I'll see what all the fuss is about. And again, a bit like Matt, I was like, Oh, this is less like explicit than I was expecting, yeah. given the reputation that it has, which I think is a comment. It's a commentary on how quickly, like, we'll get into this a lot later, but like sexuality and and sexual content 
in our culture has shifted in a pretty dramatic way in the last yeah. like 25 30 years yeah definitely, definitely. we're um, talking yeah. about bush era yeah, yeah you know yeah post reagan now make sure mother that mm. you're tucked in tight at night and it's yeah like, what the fuck is all this um and i don't think we should kind of underplay like the extent to which like when basic instinct came out it was like pornography almost. it was like, yeah, yeah like it was it was considered it, yeah. like yeah. groundbreaking in yeah, terms yeah. of like what it showed it mm. also then sparked a bunch of imitators and stuff and it's That's the reason true. that like you know uh you can have an experience like like i think like 20 year old tim where you can just be flicking around the channels late at night and suddenly be exposed to bruce willis's penis <laughs> um <laughs> he starred in that shitty what is it color of night like yeah. came out like a, a year or two yeah. after Basic Instinct. I, I when can everyone... safely say I don't think I've ever seen Bruce Willis's penis. I don't think I have. I'm trying to think what oh, I could have possibly. Only you can answer this question. Yeah, well, that's that's true. <laughs> we'll have to find out if that film ever had a sequel because yeah. it's oh, added to the list. Go. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, but there, it spawned a bunch of imitators, and it was a, like a a pretty decent financial hit at yeah. the time. The erotic thriller genre kind of yeah. exploded yes. from there, didn't it? Yeah. Um, and then very much died a death, like quite quickly. Like it was a, it was a very quick, uh, bloom and then die. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And then I did, had not seen Basic Instinct 2 until about a month ago. Nice. Uh, oh. And then watched it and was like. It was a like, weird combination of mine and Matt's stories. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time. Uh, watched it and was like, well, that was a big pile of dog shit, wasn't yep. it? Yeah. Um, and uh, and then and then got to fixing it. So we, we, you, Tim touched upon a very important thing there. As much as I don't want to give it credit, it's always the classic, you know, you know, be be first, be better, or cheat. Mm. I always bring that one back. It was a f not necessarily the first to do something sexual mm. on film, of course not, mm. but it was the first that people started talking about extensively. Mm. Um, it and was it pushed the boundaries at the time, yeah, because. Right? Like you say, it's not the first one. You've got plenty of other, like, based around sort of pornographic subjects mm. and erotic kind of movies and stuff. There was a huge thing in this push in the 70s, obviously, and oh, yeah, of course, lots of that kind of stuff. And then you've got films. like yeah. 80s stuff, like body heat and stuff, yeah, like yes. absolutely, yes. absolutely. And then coming into the 90s, I think a lot of the other stuff, oh, sorry, what separates Basic Instinct from a lot of that stuff is that it tries to take itself very seriously while doing all of that stuff, yeah. Like, I don't i'm not sure i had really money. i was about to say i i think partly but i think it was more the fact that it was michael douglas it was it was like these are respectable actors mm. yeah, in I, this sex flick do you not think it takes itself that seriously tim i think it takes itself seriously to a certain degree mm. um but i think there's definitely like a strand of i don't know if camp is the right word but like self-awareness I mean, there's a classic Paul Verhoeven thing. Like we yeah, about, I, like think, I think that's... Coming from Robocop, the satire I, there and the self-awareness there yeah, and that kind of stuff. I think, I think Basic Instinct 2 takes itself a lot more seriously than the first one Agreed, does. Agreed, yeah. And suffers Even more because it. of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's, there's none of that. I think, like, I think stuff like the, the interview scene where, you know, the famous scene, yes. there's an element of, like, awareness of how weird and stupid that moment is in it where you've got yeah. all we've got fucking newman from seinfeld just like sweating away sweating and having a good old gulp in there yeah yeah i think it, it's interesting because i know that at the time it was very much a case of 
Well, obviously it's like this because this dirty European is making this movie with Americans. <laughs> Typical and, bloody Europeans yeah. coming in here. So of course it's again as that Bill Hicks thing. It's like it's not just that it's sex; it's that it's bisexual stuff. Wait, Sharon Stone's character is basically a lesbian. Well, also she likes sex with men. Hang on a minute. Is that possible? Mm. You're saying she's just greedy? It's like mm, oh, fucking hell. Yeah. And most importantly. It's the fetishization of all these things. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we can look back with hindsight now and say about whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, mm. et cetera, et cetera, representation. But at the time, it was, for a film at least, trying to legitimize certain things. It's like, this mm. isn't just kink stuff. This isn't just like in a brown bag, something you'd mm. get from like a, a, a certain bookstore somewhere. This is like a content of something serious. And then you get mm. later things like fucking showgirls and other nonsense. Yeah. It's also in the middle of the AIDS crisis as well, which oh, is yes. another yeah. important thing. So exactly. there's this whole sexuality, especially queer sexuality, mm -hmm, has this mm -hmm. kind of element of danger around it, which yeah. was obviously like very real for certain people, but it, but it, it's kind of tapping into that without actually ever referencing. Yeah, that. entirely. Um, yeah. And there's, there's all kinds of things. And it is a film that has had people reappraise it uh, in the subsequent years yet and, mm. and see it as something groundbreaking yeah. in certain ways but also like it's still not great I, yeah, <laughs> I, I acknowledge the things it did and the doors it kicked open but at the same time it's still shit um, and that's kind of that's, maybe shit is a bit extreme for the first one mm. um, but it's legacy is I would say it's legacy is all but forgotten except for people of maybe our age and up mm. and only through osmosis through other things and through references because it's a very forgettable film, except for the scandal at the time. Yeah. People know like, oh shit, you know, Sharon Stone characters, drugs. Mm. Sharon Stone's character is having like lesbian encounters. Mm. Sharon Stone's character does this. Sh fucking flashes a badge. Michael's fucking Douglas's character. I think he anals a woman. It's like, anals a woman? It's like, I don't know. But yeah, that. <laughs> sure, sure. All that stuff is, is you know, it, it was like, what's the story about? Is it the interview? Why is she being interviewed? Job? <laughs> See, that's the thing. I went in knowing basically... Uh, uh, Fuck uh, off. Basically nothing about it. What was your it. instinct about uh, this film, Jack? <laughs> Fuck had, off. I had very little instinct about it, Tim. But it was like... I, I genuinely didn't know... I know... She has sex with men and she kills them. <laughs> she flashes her vulva at some point. That's the whole thing. And Michael Douglas is the other main character. He's there. Yeah. I didn't know he was a detective. I didn't know there was a whole drug thing going on. I didn't know she was being interviewed because of... Jo is it Johnny Boz? Or Johnny Boz. Johnny Boz, the, the rock Boz. star guy, dies. And this whole thing, like, I had no concept. I think the majority of listeners, if they haven't already seen it, We'll probably go in. I think, like you, you giving the summary there, Matt, mm. a very, very brief summary, is way more information than most people have because yep. they just yep. know that scene and the "What are you going to arrest me for smoking?" <laughs> and then look at me, I'm so fucking. That, that, no, we go back and, to that. And they're, all, and they're yeah. all super sweaty and gross. And yeah. And then Michael Douglas does, does it later, and I was like, oh, I didn't know Michael Douglas did his own version of it. No, it's like his descent mm. into unreliable narrator, like noir mm. tropes and all this kind of stuff. I'm like. I actually kind of appreciated some of it. Like I said, I'm not didn't say I'm enjoying this film, but like it was interesting seeing that it is actually trying to be like a character piece about Nick, Michael Douglas, sure, the character sure. at least the mm. first one is. And then exploring that. I even had wrong concepts of like, right, I think she's a serial killer. Is this like as like 
is it like species where she's like an alien? Or yeah. like a fucking, does she like no a tail like pop out and she murders people? I had no idea Take about that. It. Alfred Molina. They even had, yeah, <laughs> I had no idea about like ice picks or anything like that. It was literally just she is a, she kills men that she has sex with, and there is that famous scene of the interview, and that was it. Yeah, like I can't remember. Oh, maybe she's an alien or a like a lizard person or a <laughs> Hess tube monster or whatever the fuck it is. I don't know. And I, genuinely, I was like. Oh, it's neo noir. It's just a detective story. Like this is a fairly reasonably straightforward. Mm. Has a few twists and turns in there. With yeah, it's <laughs> just like the two Jakes. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Gen- again, I I went into those films blind as well. I'd heard of Chinatown mm. and and to forget about it. Had never heard of <laughs> yes, and had never heard of the two Jakes. And I was like, mm. what's the one Jake? <laughs> oh, 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 forget it, Jake. Chinatown, right? Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. okay, a connection to my brain. Had the same thing here. I was like, I remember when it went on the list, it was like, Basic Instinct 2. How do they do a 2? They just do everything the first one. And I was correct. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of, oh, yeah, yeah. Again, they just try and redo some of the scandal and the sexiness yeah. in the second one. I was like, meh. For listeners who are like, I don't know shit about Basic Instinct, we will now fill you in. Mer. Uh-huh. Jack, I believe you're going to tell us the story I of am. Basic Instinct. Get into all the sordid. Sit down, children. It's time for story time. time. Once upon a time, it's time for sexy story time with Jack. I'm I'm curious how Jack is going to have written this. Either like very functionally and and you know that one clinically, <laughs> or with Sexually. some some flair, some passion. Very little flair and passion. I'll start with Basic Instinct in 1992. Yes. In San Francisco, homicide detective Nick Curran, as we mentioned, Nick, played by Mr. Michael Douglas, yes, invest- <laughs> investigates the murder of Johnny Boss. Fucking Boss. <sighs> I hate the names in this thing sometimes. Who has recently been stabbed to death with an ice pick during sex. Oh, no. That's a recurring theme. Nick's only suspect is Boss's, like, friend with benefits? Like, Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's what we'd call it now. That's what we could. That, that's exactly. Yeah, I struggled because they struggled to categorize it, and they're like, "What is this person? Yeah. You're in love? No, we were fucking. I'm like, well, for how long? And just the once? And they're like, women have casual sex. Oh my, my god! And god, none of the cops can handle it. Mm. Uh, Oz is friends with benefits uh, with a lady called Catherine Trammell, played by, as we've already mentioned, the one and only Sharon Stone. She also happens to be a crime writer who writes novels about all the murders. And so I was like, fucking, that makes me so angry. <laughs> it's, it's such the noir cliche. If you want to define, oh, a troubled writer who writes about the murders they do. Yep. Welcome to noir cliche. Here we go. It's concluded that either Catherine is the murderer or someone is attempting to frame her. Catherine is uncooperative during the investigation, taunting and teasing the officers at every opportunity. Uh, the famous interview scene we hinted at earlier, the whole, what are you going to do, arrest me for smoking, mm-hmm. flashing them, and all that kind of stuff happens. You ever fucked on cocaine, Nick? It's nice. That, yeah. that was what I was referencing earlier, obviously. <laughs> yes. It's like, it's like, can't, I don't think you should be admitting to the police that you do a lot of cocaine. Yeah. That's yeah. Probably not, I mean, fucking politicians a bit, but you know. Well, that's I mean. the whole vibe, her whole power play, is I don't give a shit. Yeah, I'll vibe, carry on, carry on. She passes a lie detector test, and is released. Because... You know, people pass light taxes. What's the problem? Yeah, they're flawed. Easy. They're like 70-something percent accurate. Or something like that. <laughs> Especially in yeah. the 90s, they're probably even worse. They're inadmissible in court for that reason. Yes, yeah. exactly. 
Nick goes to a bar, starts drinking again because he'd recently gotten off the drink and trying to clean his life up and stop smoking and stuff. Could be Michael Douglas. Mm -hmm. Good old Michael Douglas. And goes home with Beth, his psychiatrist and mistress. I get because he's. Sure. I guess he's. If they talk about his wife, but like I guess they're separated. At this, it's I not... think the film is literally trying to actively say many times, we don't do labels. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Yeah. Sometimes we fuck and sometimes we don't. It's like, yeah. Yeah, speaking cool. Of, speaking of fucking, they have violent sex. You mentioned the Michael Douglas anal the woman. <laughs> maybe that moment. Yes. Uh, which shocks Beth and she kicks Nick out. Rightfully so. He goes a bit mental. Nick tracks Catherine down through a very tense car chase, which is a weird, really weird car chase that mm-hmm. is shot really unusually. Mm-hmm. Just like next to the wheels half the time. And you're like, mm-hmm. I can't tell where any of these cars are, but okay. <laughs> And discovers Catherine has a history of befriending murderers, such as Hazel Dobkins. She goes and meets this lady, and it's like, hey, what happened to you? And blah, blah, blah. And cops look her up. She killed her husband and her children, mm. which is another theme for another one of Catherine's books. And she's mm. basically like using all these people she knows to write all these murder books, basically. Mm. Catherine explains she's basing the protagonist of her latest book on Nick. Oh, my God. I like such a threat. Like, yeah. Cool, go for it. I'm, that, that's not me. Wherein his character is murdered after falling for the wrong woman. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> Shit. Catherine confirms that she knows Nick has a record of shooting tourists while undercover. That's a whole thing. <laughs> of him, like, it's a weird, like... Yeah, it's like why he's got, like, the... Not court-appointed, but, like, mm. the, the he's having to see Beth as a therapist yes. because of this. And that's why he's given up drinking. And also, like, Beth's a terrible he was, therapist because they're sleeping with he each was, other. He was yep. high on cocaine on an undercover job and killed two civilians, basically. Yes. yes. Down to and, yeah. and everyone calls him Shooter. Shooter, hey, Shooter. That sounds like a reward. <laughs> yeah. Rather than, like... We can call you Shooter from now on if you like, mate. Call him Murderer would be good. Yeah, we call yeah. you, hey, Mark Wahlberg vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. There's a reference. Uh, Nick asks Beth about his file and suspects that Catherine has bribed Nielsen, a guy in internal affairs, that Beth had previously given him basically the the information he exclusively tells to his psychiatrist has gone through internal affairs somehow, Mm, mysterious, Mm -hmm. and somehow Catherine knows stuff that only the file knows, so there's a web of conspiracies against Nick is basically what it boils down Mm. to. Yes. Uh, Marty Nielsen from Internal Affairs threatens to fire Nick and Nick beats the shit out of him in the office because of course he does. <laughs> yep. Um, and then becomes a prime suspect because, oh look, he dies as well. Mm. So great, yeah. Everyone around Nick is dying. Everyone mm. Catherine is dying. Surprise, surprise. Nick, Nick is a terrible policeman. Oh he's yeah, aw- he's awful. awful. We he's, should point out. He's a terrible person. Yeah. That's kind of the point. Yeah. But like, yeah. This is a year after the Rodney King riots. Cops yeah. are not good, and you know we want to get back that shit. But but the point is that public... as we discussed, all time cops are bad. <laughs> yeah, so. the public perception of police, especially at that time, was yeah. of course they're fucking violent, hothead, coked mm. up, yeah, you know, uh, alcoholic pricks. Yeah, and everything's yeah. changed in the last thirty years, right, Matt? <sighs> Deafening silence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so him being like this ridiculous, like because he sounds like. Like a fucking monster. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah he's supposed yeah, he to kind be. of is. Yeah. But he's an he's an especially bad, really bad yeah. cop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to which point where he recreates the infamous interrogations, he doesn't quite flash his dick. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> That's the only way you could get on with that. Just flash his bollocks. His balls fall out and slap <laughs> onto the t- on the chest. Just cut a neat little hole in the bottom of his trousers. 
Uh, he recreates the interrogation scene, does the whole, what are you going to do, arrest me for smoking kind of thing. And uh, they go, you've gone insane. Go on annual leave, you absolute nutter. And they just force him to go on leave, basically. Yeah. Catherine continues her manipulation and Nick's obsession grows. Nick goes to a club and witnesses Catherine doing cocaine in the bathroom with Roxy, the aforementioned third person in this love mm. triangle thing when where the kind of exploration of Catherine's sexuality comes in terms of bisexuality and sure, all this kind sure. of stuff. Nick and Catherine get frisky on the dance floor, which is a really weird moment when Nick and Roxy are like <laughs> Some real eyes. aggressive clubbing. <laughs> aggressive, yeah. aggressive clubbing. I mean, yeah. cocaine will do that to you. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Uh, and they end up having sex back at Catherine's house. Again, very violent sex, because welcome to basic instinct. Yes. Catherine ties Nick to the headboard with a white silk scarf, just as she had done, or whoever murdered Boz did, <laughs> because of the bodies are found tied up with white silk scarf. Mm. But he, she doesn't kill Nick. <laughs> there you go. The end. The end. <laughs> sort of. We'll get to that. Roxy, jealous of Nick, attempts to run him over in Catherine's car. Another weird car chase ensues. Yes. She crashes her car and she dies. Mm. Another person around them dies. That's a whole thing. Uh, Catherine grieves over Roxy's death. Seems like she actually cares mm. and tells Nick about a lesbian fling at college that went awry. Mm. She claims that the girl became obsessed with her, causing Nick to believe that Catherine may not have killed Boz after all. Nick identifies the other girl as none other than Beth, his mistress slash psychiatrist person. Oh, what a what a what a wicked web they <laughs> are weaving. Thank you, Tim. I couldn't remember the phrase. What a wicked web. Uh, but Beth claims it's the other way around, and it's Catherine that got obsessed with her. And he also finds out that Roxy killed her brothers as a teenager, so that's another murderer that Catherine's hanging out with, mm. and it's a whole mess. Lastly, Nick discovers that college professor of theirs was also killed <laughs> with an ice pick in an unsolved case, and the events inspired one of Catherine's first novels. So, everybody dies, and she writes books about it. Yes. And everyone he meets dies, and then she writes books about and the, it. And the, the film sort of says the ultimate alibi is, why would you write a, a novel well, she, about she, what you've she done? She has that line, right? Yeah. And she's like, why would I do well, that? Why would I write a novel about murders if I'm doing the murders? That makes no sense. Not like O.J. Simpson did a, I didn't do it, but if I did do it, this is Here's how I would book. have done yeah. it. Yeah. I love the idea that it's like, the police go, cool, um, but no. Yeah. Nick comes across the final page of Catherine's book in which the fictional detective, based on him, finds his partner's body in an elevator. Guess what happens next, listeners? <laughs> Catherine then breaks off their affair, causing Nick to become upset and suspicious, and Nick later meets his partner, Gus. Who was arranged to meet Catherine's college roommate? Cowboy at. themed Gus. Cowboy <laughs> Gus. He's like, I'm not letting a man drive my Cadillac. <laughs> Getting drunk and just shouting. Yeah. Uh, he just shouts the word pussy in the bar. <laughs> it's hilarious. Good old Gus. Good old cowboy Gus. Uh, hoping to reveal what really went on between Catherine and Beth and try and clarify everything. As Nick waits in the car, Gus is stabbed to death with an ice pick. Again, in an elevator. Nick runs in, finds Gus's body in the exact same manner as was written in the book. Surprise, surprise. And then Beth shows up, <laughs> explains that she received a message to meet Gus there. Nick thinks she's going for a gun or a weapon of some kind and then kills her. <laughs> God, he's a terrible police officer. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yep. And then discovers that Beth was just getting a keychain for the office because of course she was. Yeah. 
Evidence collected the scene and in Beth's apartment implicates her as the killer of Boz, Marty, Gus, and her own husband, along with photos and newspaper clippings of Catherine that imply an obsession with her. Basically, it's a whole stage thing to make Beth look like the killer. Mm. Nick is left confused and upset, and when he returns to his apartment, Catherine meets him there. She explains her reluctance to commit to him as people she cares about keep dying. But they have sex anyway, because it's basic instinct. Mm. Yes. As they discuss their future of no kids. So, uh, well, happily ever after and all that kind of bollocks. Fuck mm. like bunnies. Fuck like, he says fuck like something. It's not bunnies, it's something else. And I, was, I thought it was a weird phrase. Fuck like minxes. That was it. That's the phrase they use. I was like, <laughs> yep, okay, that's a sentence. The 90s, what a sexual yeah. time. And as they discuss all of this, an ice pick is revealed under the bed. Ah, ah. It was the bed all along. <laughs> <laughs> A sentient versus that's a Stephen King version of this. A sentient yes. bed. Okay, it was jealous. I've I've actually got a theory, guys, that I've just come up with that I think we should consider. It okay. puts the puts the film in a whole new light. What if Catherine is writing her novels in Death Note? Oh, I like that. Sign me up. Yeah, <laughs> that's not bad. Willem Dafoe's just hanging out there being real, but it has to have the uh, exact name and yeah. date of birth or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> But, which then kind of implies that it's yeah. definitely her. Mm. It was like, in 1992, the fourth highest grossing movie. That's mad. Isn't yeah. It? Behind like Aladdin. It, it's, all <laughs> it's all because of the raciness. Oh yeah, because everyone was talking about it. fueled by yeah. like, yeah. oh my God, have you seen all the crazy sexy stuff? It's the most exposed. It's, like, it's so like challenging. Porn, but you can mm. go and watch it. It's made with like real actors and yeah. stuff. <laughs> and if you're thinking to yourself, Don't, well, that was the 90s. It was a weird time. Fuck you. Everyone and their mum, for some reason, wrote, read Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. yeah. Which is badly written Twilight fan. Oh, is that badly written? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Only so. The only Fifty Shades of Grey I like to experience is if it's, written, if it's read by Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know the video Wait, I'm talking no, about. No, I know. It was pausing because every time Jack mentions that, he will sit there and scream parts of it <laughs> out loud. I knew that's why I'm I was like, I'm not going to oh, do it. Okay. I'm not going to do it. But I, I, think, do it I think that does speak to that there is an repression? appetite yeah there's there's a there's a kind of repression and an Absolutely, appetite yeah. for this amongst people and it's sure, a need sure. a need that is not being fulfilled essentially because like we talk about how like oh the 90s were so horny in the, in the, this period of cinema and, mm. and it's true because there were you know there was films before this and there were a lot of imitators and it's not really the kind of like you would not ever get a basic instinct now i guess kind of Fifty Shades of Grey, but even that probably Fifty Shades of Grey is tame as fuck, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Um and in, the films. in terms of like box office performance and stuff like that, like it's kind of nowhere near. Erotic thrillers. Yeah. I think um like everything, um, had their day for a little while and got replaced by stuff. You yeah. still yeah. have yeah. elements of these things, mm. you still have moments and stuff, and you still have trends, especially mm. in different countries. It's just the fact that they were ridden to death, effectively. Yeah. Um, and and there's, you know, you can point out, like, the ease of access to pornography is considerably oh, yeah. easier now. I and have like, no idea what you're talking about. Has, like, pushed the boundaries of what is acceptable in that kind of part of culture. Yeah. But also, like, there's a weird kind of conservatism to oh, a lot absolutely. of American cinema. Like, mm -hmm, you know, you mm -hmm. look at, yes, we always go back to the fucking MCU. Yeah. Like, they are so, like, chaste and, 
like mm. to the point of being sterile at times. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. And and, and even it, appealing to like wider markets and stuff. Now you get the stuff that has to play well in China and has to play yeah. in the Middle East and stuff. And a lot of those, you know, those cultures have completely different views of sex compared to yeah. America. Mm. And even America, I would consider more kind of like sexually repressed than mm. often us here in Britain and other mm. places well, in the English-speaking world. With the debasement and debauchery of Europe. God, yeah. 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 People, people left Europe because it was too sinful. They wanted to be puritanical somewhere and they arrived in America. Yeah, yeah. pretty so, much. Yeah. yeah. Part of them, at least. Um, so yeah, there are definitely places. We, and again, also like Australia's rules and laws when it comes to these sort of mm. things and censorship is really high. And, and yeah, Australia's censorship is yeah. mental. Like, some films and video games and stuff just don't get released. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're too too hot to too handle. hot to handle. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's because they're entirely peopled by criminals and they're worried it's going to set them all off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hello, yeah. Australian listeners. <laughs> I'm sorry if this is. Will this episode go out in Australia? We who, knows? Who, knows? who knows? Might who knows? be too racy for. Too me. graphic. I mean, our entire run of the last hundred and forty whatever episodes is explicit tagged, so probably not. <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah. We have we have um, patrons and stuff in in Australia. So. We do. We certainly do. Yeah. 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 Hello, everybody. They're getting it on the dark web. <laughs> <laughs> Use a VPN. If only we were sponsored by a VPN, that would be the perfect perfect oh, inroad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a shame. If you want to get away with your eyes, hey VPNs. <laughs> if you're if you're hearing if you're hearing this right now, sponsor us. <laughs> we'd lo- we'd love a VPN sponsor. Everybody else has a VPN sponsor. Why don't we have a VPN? Just maritime. Yeah. Probably. Speaking of matter of time, should we? Flash forward 14 years for some reason <laughs> into 2006. When erotic thrillers, like we say, were well and truly dead. <laughs> like we said, yeah. we mentioned earlier what a brief like flash in the pan it was. A flash in the pan, 14 years is not. Yeah. Especially in cinema. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of flashing going on. A lot of flashing. But not in 14. 14 years of flashing is yeah. too long, Matthew. Hong Kong and South Korea were doing really interesting stuff with uh, Lust Caution, for example. Mm. Got to Angley in a lot of trouble for that kind of thing, but at the same time, in American cinema, it was dwindling yeah. quite distinctly. Yeah. It was it to, was to to quote Tobias Funke, I don't want to blame nine eleven, but <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely think like they're like if you're gonna and we'll get into this when I talk about my uh my Your fix. Uh, propose mm. um like I think you have to have it happen before two thousand. I think you're entirely correct. I think as, as well because there was still incredibly sexually driven content. The difference was it was horny teens mm. in American Pie fucking five straight to DVD kind of mm. shit. You know, it was it was more the innocent um, debauchery and silly antics of mm. kids. It wasn't adults fucking. Adults yep. fucking on drugs and then stabbing each other. It's like, that's too much. But we're going to have instead some horny teens messing mm. around. Yeah. Like, like in a slasher film? Yeah, but no slashing. Yeah. Oh, what happens or, then? Or you have it in a slasher film and it's fine because they get punished with death yes. afterwards. Yeah, they, they get their, their, their comeuppance. Um, basic Instinct 2. We're in 2006 now, ready yeah. for Basic Instinct 2. I'm now 22 years old. I am 16. Tim? I am... 20? 20. Yeah, 20. There you go. That makes sense. Put that the, in your minds, everybody. <laughs> the maths adds up, listeners. Because we're now in fucking London, aren't we? Yeah, because that's the irony. I saw this in America. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, yes. It's exactly like that. My, Everything is my exactly as depicted. Yes, exactly. Yes, like yeah. 
I often speed down the road. The roads are all empty. <laughs> masturbating ladies and killing myself. Stan Collymore is always in a car. Exactly. Sorry, Karen. Speaking of which, we're in London, and the film opens with none other than Catherine Trammell back again in a speeding car with a professional football player, I think they say. Like a, a oh, English yeah. footballer. Yeah. Uh, Played him. by professional footballer. Correct. Stan Collymore. Yeah. For some fucking reason. Amazing. No idea why. Amazing. Is it Larry King or some shit I call him? Yes. Uh, Kevin Franks is the character. So name. close. Yeah. <laughs> Larry King. Basically the same thing. Uh, Tramel takes his hand and begins masturbating herself with it because it's basic instinct, everybody. How erotic. Simultaneously accelerating. Oof. But the semi-unconscious Franks is seemingly unaware of what's happening. Because, as we'll find out in a moment, he's been drugged. At the point of orgasm, Tramel veers off the road and crashes into the docks in Canary Wharf and Thames River. I think they did actually shoot in London for this, right? Oh, they did, yeah. They are the so fucking pleased with themselves that they have access to the gherkin. <laughs> they, there's they like show that four they, or five all the time. scenes yeah. in there, and then they show it from the outside. Yeah. And they, yeah. Isn't a lighter it's, also shaped like it yes, at one point? Yes, it is. Which, uh, like, That's how London works, right? Yeah, so like the gherkin's like three years old at that point, so they were shooting oh, when wow, it was like yeah. two years old. It's still even, fairly recent. I hadn't even yeah. thought about how new it was. I, I hadn't... You like, seem to have been around always. No, no, I just like didn't line up the timeline because I, I, sure, I've sure. been to London before and after. Like lots mm. of my family's in London and stuff, but I'd never lined up. Like oh, the Kirkins a new thing. Oh, that's why they're so <laughs> fucking upset. And it that totally makes sense. Yeah, thank you, Tim. I hadn't, hadn't lined that timeline up in my mind yet. Anyway, back to orgasms. <laughs> Tramel veers off the road and crashes into the docks. As I said, she tries basic to... instinct two. Back to orgasms. Better be your fucking subtitled. <laughs> Back to orgasms. <laughs> yeah. Back to back orgasms. I want, I want nothing but. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, they veer off the road. She tries to save him, but while being questioned later by the police, she says, well, when it came down to it, I guess my life was more important to me than his. I'm like, I hate uh, that line. Yeah, yeah she doesn't try brilliant, very hard to be. Brilliant, brilliant line there. Yep. Uh, the interrogator is Scotland Yard Detective Superintendent. Yes, that is his full fucking title for some reason. Roy Washburn. And who's Roy Washburn played by a gentleman? Aries God of War. Aries God of War from Wonder Woman. Remus Lupin. <laughs> Fuck, it's fucking Lupin himself. David Hello. motherfucking Thulis. What just a you... sexual man. <laughs> if you want sexual prowess, you need Thulis. Hey, like, should we hear the version he's in, in Fargo with the big teeth? Like, hello. <laughs> See, I... I... Actually, I do find think... Dave Thulis quite attractive. I don't find him attractive, <laughs> but I think he has an aura about him mm. more than, Michael as we will get to, David Morrison, oh, who is the actual yeah, yeah, main yeah, 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 romantic Morrissey. lead. Yeah. Thulis has a bit of grubbiness about him. I get that. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. Uh, they find out that, as I mentioned earlier, poor old Franks had been drugged with a neuromuscular blocking agent. Which is the exact words they use because this is a very interesting film. <laughs> <laughs> they very they give the whole. Um, it is a detubocurarin, abbreviated to DTC. Uh, they say this all out. The reason I've got it, man. They say this all out loud. In oh, the I know. Film, and it's ja like, Jack's uh, very fiance is uh, in the medical profession. She is. Yeah. <laughs> he clearly pays zero attention. <laughs> I don't think she administered <laughs> blood like fair, fair, blocking fair. agents and stuff. Uh, so yeah, they find out his muscles were relaxed, uh, and it's usually used like for 
anesthesia and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was found in her car and in the footballer's body. And he also wasn't breathing by the time he... He didn't drown, basically, is what they're saying. Like, yeah, he was practically already dead. He was anyway. practically yeah. already dead. And uh, <laughs> I've got some quotes here. Uh, and that Dickie Pep. Oh, yeah. Fuck <laughs> it. Because Pep. If he even exists. Uh, yeah. Said that he sold Terrell 15 milliliters, 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 15 milliliters of DTC last Thursday. Because we need to know the exact day and time of the fucking <laughs> drug transaction. Yeah. And we, Terrell- need, and we need the drug dealer to have the weirdest fucking name. <laughs> Dickie Pep. Oh. What can we, what are we thinking like? So we're going to London for this one. <laughs> They're all called Dickie over there. Yeah, yeah we're fine. A bit of pep in his day. Dickie Pep! Yes. <laughs> Nailed it. Oh, Christ. Tramel counters by saying Dickie Pep must be lying because he's called Dickie Pep. <laughs> Look at him. Look at him. He's got in some other charge and he's trying to deal his way out. All that kind of stuff. Mm. Typical drug dealer police interactions. Uh, Terrell begins therapy sessions. Ah, so there's a little oh twist on God. the whole thing. With, as we mentioned earlier, Mr. David Morrissey, the charisma bomb <laughs> <laughs> vacuum. Uh, I he, some I sometimes like David Morrissey. He's been good. I think he's stuff. he's an actor. He's capable. <laughs> he's an actor. Thanks, he's capable. Thanks, thanks he's, been, he's given some good performances. I think. The role is shit, and I think he's shit in it. Yes, yes. agreed. Uh, he plays Doctor Glass, oh, not no. not the one from Unbreakable. Unfortunately, <laughs> that would be. I want Samuel L. Jackson in this instead. Just getting his well. bones broken in sex scenes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm made of ice! <laughs> ah, I knew you did that, Matt. My penis is called the ice pit. <laughs> I'm gonna stab you with it. And she's got it under her bed. Dr. Glass has conducted a court-ordered psychiatric examination and also gives, like, testimony and stuff. Reviews and all that kind of stuff. Mm. He strongly suspects she is a narcissist Mm. and possibly a psychopath, but is basically suggests that she has no emotional connections to anybody. She's a danger to herself. Yeah, and can't tell the difference between right and wrong and all that kind of typical, she's a cool bad guy, but you'll be rooting for a typical movie spiel (laughs) that doesn't work. Of course, unsurprisingly, she begins to manipulate him. Because of course she does. We learned that in the first movie. Mm. And he becomes kind of... It's a bit much of an acting task for poor old Morrissey at this point. Because he's supposed to be like... Nick, to, to Michael Douglas's credit, I think he does the balance of trying to like find her as a suspect and all that kind of stuff. And also being like completely manipulated by her. And I think Nick's mm. struggle is actually quite interesting in the first one and, and what saves it from being, as Bill Hicks calls it, big it's piece shit. of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, Nick is a conflicted character because he's an asshole and he's awful. And even he has a line, makes you go, oh, shit, this is yeah, bad. Yeah, because you're not rooting for Nick. Not really. Really, at any point. But, like, he is a police officer trying to stop a serial killer, so the audience has that kind of conflict there. Yeah. Where they try and kind of do this with Glass, where he's like, Oh, he's getting manipulated and frustrated by her, but also falling for her. And oh no, but like, there's no significant tension there. There's no kind of, there's far less of a cat and mouse game in this second one than there yeah. was the first one. Also, no fucking stakes in this. That's yep. the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. They just basically just wheel it out to be like, here's Sharon Stone doing the sexy thriller again. She's not getting caught by police. It's just, it's a psychiatric thing. There you yeah. go. That'll do. 
And as we know from this franchise, psychotherapists are fucking useless. Exactly. Their job, apparently. And just constantly have sex with everyone, apparently. Classic. Meanwhile, the journalist boyfriend of the psychiatrist ex-wife. Yeah. Because that's a thing that they needed to include in this. Mm. Uh, who's writing a story about him being a bad therapist, basically. Mm-hmm. He's found strangled to death. Oh my God. With an ice pick. A murder. Uh, more murders begin to surface around him, including his ex-wife and his obsession with Tramel grows, unsurprisingly. When his career and life are threatened, he begins to suspect that Tramel is actually committing the murders and attempting to frame him for it. Yes. And we've seen the first film that but not as good and not as clever <laughs> oh we're going to frame someone else for all the things Catherine's doing great I'm going to write a book about it I'm going to write a book about it cut your fingers off uh, he basically does a nick and <laughs> can't tell the difference between right and wrong and has the whole like slip on sanity thing and the London, be- London police then begin to suspect him because that's exactly what happened in the first one and this is a less mm-hmm. clever less interesting version of the first film he then confronts her just like Nick does. And what do they do? Have violent sex. Just like Nick. Ah, fucking hell. <laughs> Rough sex. Rough sex. I think you're evil. But god damn it, you're I'm, sexy. I'm gonna fuck it out of you. Yeah. <laughs> cool. shag, I'm gonna shag the evil out of this serial <laughs> There's killer. There's a scene like that in 300, Rise of Empire as well. There is! Oh, that's a piece of shit as well. God damn, <laughs> I hate you. And I'm gonna fuck it out of you. I'm gonna hate you fucking. Like, so, that is one hate of the, fucking great. When we talked about this at the time, that's one of the worst sex scenes. <laughs> Ever. Just the worst. Pretty bad. Uh, unsurprisingly, Tramel gives Glass a copy of her draft of her latest novel <laughs> called The Analyst. Anal! <laughs> the Analyst! <laughs> I idea they just leave another book on top and you just see the anal. <laughs> <laughs> and she just raises her eyebrows and goes, oh no. After reading it, unsurprisingly, he realises that she's novelized most of the recent events with Glass and herself as characters. Because that's what she does. It's the first one, but it's, it's not as thing. good. Have you noticed I keep saying it's like the first one, but not as good? <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Basic Instinct 2. Uh, a character based on one of his female colleagues is depicted as the next murder victim. Dumb, dumb. Run, girl! Exactly. Uh, he runs to his colleague, Dr. Gardosh's apartment to warn her and finds Catherine already there. <gasps> oh yeah. my god. Gardosh informs him that he is no longer in charge of Tramel's therapy and his license will be revoked. I mean, yeah. He's mm. sleeping with his fucking Ma- patient. Fair enough. Makes sense. They have a fight. She's knocked unconscious. Yeah. There's a whole thing. She's not Cat- like a young woman, by the way. This is an old lady. Sorry, yes, yes. <laughs> this is this is an older older lady. This is not like yeah, Rampling. It's, it's Charlotte Rampling. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, it's, it's, it, but they're like they they have a tussle in in your mind. You might think stuff like, oh yeah, it's like two thirty year olds. No, he just <laughs> manhandles an older woman. <laughs> it's like thirty years. Yeah, senior, in, yeah. In, like in the same way, if it was like if, um older male counterpart as well. I was like, that's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's knocked unconscious, and then Catherine gets a gun out that was in reasons. England. Sure. Is that a thing? Um, She's an American, Jack. They just produce them from thin air. <laughs> we know where she produces her. <laughs> <laughs> she crosses her legs, gets a gun out. <laughs> That's a Metal Gear Solid reference. You're welcome, listen. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, and uh, where am I? Oh, and Glass like, wrestles it from her and basically confiscates it from her. So essentially being like, it's England. You can't have a fucking gun. Are you <laughs> mental? 
Yes. Um, and Detective Washburn, who I mentioned way back, notice how, oh yeah, there's a cop in this as well. Mm. Uh, he arrives at the scene and because Glass has got the gun now and he's being manipulated, he shoots the cop. So he's, oh no, no, he, she's turned him mm. into a murderer. Fuck, she she sort of claims that Washburn is behind it all, and he's the whole conspiracy yeah. theory. It's the it's the same thing with Beth, yeah. but not as interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh it's not me. There's a whole conspiracy around me, and I'll just kill this person. And everything will be fine. Uh, finally, Catherine visits Doctor Glass, now institutionalized at a mental hospital. Yeah, that's a thing. I feel like it's a really big just just a big jump there where it's oh, just yeah. like. Yeah. There you go. Here's an ending. There's like, a, he, we've he run gets, out of budget. He gets a big yell after shooting the cop, and, yeah. <laughs> but not in a way that implies like, oh, this. He's now he, lost it. He is nowhere near the point where his brain, like, brain, should be just breaking at we'll, this. We'll get into this in a sec, but yeah, that, I think that's a big difference between him and Nick as kind of the main protagonist here. Mm. Uh, like I said, lastly, he's in a mental hospital and informs, it, and he finds out that the novel has come out and is a bestseller because, of course, it is. Uh, Catherine claims she manipulated Glass into committing all of those murders, and flashbacks are shown. Mm. Pause for flashbacks, listeners, because, oh dear. Of him committing all of those murders, because, yay. And then she does a little, like, sneaky smirk, and then he's just sat there. He's literally, like, sort of, like, um, pilled out and just staring off. Yeah, yeah, the the vacant kind of lobotomized kind of stare. Yeah. And we need to talk about this because the, the first film is actually mm. a little ambiguous in its ending. Mm. It's, it's yeah, clearly definitely. like Travel's yeah. been the killer, but it's mm. like it could be argued that she is in fact not the killer. Like, mm. yeah, she has an ice pick. She, she, she yeah, is breaking it. up some ice. She, she does it to break ice because yeah. she drinks. That's mm. yeah. not that ridiculous. Well, um, she's a nonsense human being, obviously. Yeah, mm. but that's the thing. Where in the second film, it's very much a case of like. She's a murderer. Yeah. She's the best and most clever person ever with all the luck. That's the thing. It feels like so I kind of want to touch on a couple of things. Like reading those out loud again is kind of reminding me. Like I said, I watched these films a few weeks ago and I was like, oh mm. yeah. So what you touch on there, Matt, I think is a thing that the second one completely misses from the first one is any kind of subtlety. Oh yeah. Because the first one is so famous, granted, like I said, I don't think it's as famous as the writers of the second one think it is. <laughs> They know, people know the interrogation scene and that's it kind of thing. Mm. Everybody knows that Catherine's the killer already because of the first one. It's like, right, but as you said, Matt, that's not 100% from the first one, but Mm. everybody kind of knows that because that's the Mm. whole point of that. So they just lean into it. It's like, yeah, she's definitely a killer straight away. Okay, cool. So there's some of the mystery and some of the intrigue taken out there. And then the fact that the difference between Michael, I kept calling him Glass because I'm kept making me think about Samuel L. Jackson. Um, difference between Glass as a protagonist in the second film and Nick in the first one, something you just touched on, Tim, I think is very important, is that it feels so rushed and compared to Nick's descent into madness and manipulation and obsession and all this kind of stuff. And he's all coked up and a terrible guy to mm-hmm. begin with. So he's already like, say that it's a 10-step program towards madness and manipulation. Yeah, sure. He's on, like, six already by the time the film even fucking starts, before he even meets Catherine. Mm. Whereas Glass just goes, like, uh, one, two, three, ten. I'm, I'm, I'm now lobotomized and, bought, as you said, Matt, like, medicated out of his mind and just in a, like, mental health institute. It's like, yep. uh, okay, wow. We didn't do that to Nick in the last one, and he's way worse <laughs> and way more mental. And- yep. 
way further gone in the manipulation from Catherine and stuff. He, he like, doesn't have a lot of negative repercussions, except he may get murdered later down the line. That's, a, that's <laughs> he the pro- He probably gets murdered the after, second one doesn't talk about after it. and I quote, the fuck of the century. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, I think the protagonist of Glass and the way they handle him as a basically a direct comparison to Nick, because this film is not original and just retried retreads all of the shit from the first one mm. just fundamentally doesn't work because glass is not as depraved and debauched and all that kind of stuff as nick and that's why nick works in the first one because there is no good person in the first fucking movie yeah that's kind of the point whereas in the second one there's a cop who's actually a cop and i was like yeah okay yeah it's just you know he's not off doing all the drugs and killing all the civilians and stuff i was like yeah well, then he's a less interesting character in this like neo-noir kind of world you're crafting. I, I just don't understand why you would like that ending that just frustrates me. Yeah. <laughs> Jump to that such a rushed ending just frustrated me so, so much. Yeah, I think the idea is meant to be that Glass has this like very buttoned down, like repressed front. And there's all this stuff like bubbling under the surface. There's but... that fragile kind of shell. Almost. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But like Morrissey does not sell that That's the at thing. all. And like, I don't think the script puts in the yeah. work to have that there. Yeah. I think you could do it if you did it right. Yeah. But they don't. Yeah. Like the idea that, <laughs> that, that like... sums up every fucking film we talk about. Yeah. <laughs> it could be good, but it's not because it's not. Yeah. <sighs> like in, in a way, I can understand why they wanted a contrast from Nick in the first one where he's already like fucking veering off the edge pretty much or like yeah. on the uh, sort of all over the place to start with and then Catherine comes into his life it's like yeah of course no wonder he's gonna get like his head twisted um whereas in this they're kind of almost trying to make it more of like especially because he's a psychiatrist as well more of like a battle of equals but like also like they make heard, they make Catherine so like almost like super powered she's and- basically Hannibal yeah, like she turns into this super mega. Oh, yes, Hannibal, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that's the that's the TV show Hannibal. Twenty <laughs> hours Hannibal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and and they don't sell like Nick's descent or 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 like the moment of him. If you're gonna have like him break, a you need to more hints that that's like under the surface beforehand, and also it probably needs to come a little bit before like the final like. Three was it like of three film? minutes yeah. of the film? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because you need to see the aftermath, like more than just him in the hospital, you need to see like, yeah, because it, because it just ends up with, it's like, oh, he's this boring bloke and then, oh, he's gone a bit weird and then he just goes completely nuts out of nowhere. Yep. Yeah, entirely. So just to touch on a bit of this thing, so to Basic Instinct 1, or basic instinct as Ash, you know. Um like Part one, first blood. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. Um it was the fourth highest grossing film of nineteen ninety two. It was nominated for like I want to say two Oscars. It was given a lot of actual credibility. A sequel was greenlit relatively quickly. Because again, all these imitators and everything else sort of coming out of the woodwork. But it was such a troubled production trying to get it actually yeah. going and get yeah. getting the story mm-hmm. off and getting people on board, getting all, just, just getting these things, the, the gears working. Because sometimes you think to yourself, oh, it's an obvious thing you want to put a sequel into as fast as possible. Um, it isn't, by the way. Leave it alone. Um, but the industry has a way of fucking itself, but put it bluntly. Um, 
so this movie was directed by Michael Caton Jones. Um, Who? <laughs> well, yeah. So yeah, he directed Memphis Belle, which I think is okay as mm. a movie. Um, he did it Rob Roy. We've talked uh, about that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he directed The Day the Jackal We Make the Jackal with Bruce Willis and, and Richard Gere. Um, and he's done this and a few other bits and pieces, but not nothing really dramatic and outstanding. But he is a competent um, Scottish director. He's, mm. he's, he's capable. And I will say this for... Safe pair of hands. Yeah, mostly. Mostly. Yeah. Ron Howard, but with thrillers. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Verhoeven is Verhoeven. He's just trying to do stuff and he does things that work most of the time and it's mm. risky and challenging. And it's weird. Uh, Jan de Bont shooting it exactly. as well. So it's, it's, we like him as a yeah. DP. He's good. Um, as a director, he's fine. Until yeah. he stopped all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Basic Instinct 2 is competently shot. It doesn't look too made for TV. It's perfectly functional in what it does. Um, the opening cast up is a bit shit, but that's neither here nor there. It looks like high budget TV looks now. Yes. Th- there we go. Very much so. There you go. Yeah. Which for 2006 would have been quite impressive. I mean, it's the same mm. year that Casino Royale came out, and that looks obviously much, much better anyway, because it's fucking yeah. Bond. But both these ones are put up by fucking MGM, so mm. maybe they're on the same par anyway. But um, I want to just briefly touch upon. The reaction. This isn't me going into Rotten Tomatoes yet, don't worry. We'll get to that, listeners, don't worry. We will. Um, this is me talking about how when Basic Instinct 2 came out, it was a piece of shit. And the uh, foremost film critic in Britain is Mark Commode, mm. arguably. Yeah. And he was on, he has a, he used to have a radio um, show with him and Simon Mayo um, uh, with, with the BBC. And he, I mean, like anyone's opinion, whether it's me or any other critic or anything like that at all, it's always going to be, yeah, I kind of trust most of his ideas. I, I, mm. If he says it's good, I'll probably go along and watch it, that kind of thing. Um, but it's still a personal bias that's in there. Yeah, a critic is always a human being. And you, you cannot take yourself out You can out of never it. eliminate personal bias. Yeah. You're a human, that's yeah. impossible. You try and be as dispassionate and as honest as possible, it's still based on your experience of life and so on and so forth, etc. He was on the radio and said, to his knowledge, only three people like Basic Instinct 2. <laughs> one was some random critic, one is uh, him, and the other is Linda Ruth Williams, which is what he said on the radio. And Simon May said, so your wife? He said, yes. <laughs> um, and his wife is a is, um, professor of film studies, at, I think at like Exeter University. And she's also written a lot of theses on, on psychology of sex and film and censorship and that sort of stuff. So she is very much an actual informed individual mm. on this an, subject. An academic who has studied... Precisely. Know. This exact yeah. thing. And she knows what she's fucking talking about. And she likes Basic Instinct too, And he does as well. I'm going to completely invalidate them both, however, because the reason he gives is wrong. <laughs> so, Michael Caton Jones directed the film and he could have phoned it in because once he realised it was going to be shit, he was like, oh, bollocks. Allegedly. Um, and just did the job, basically. Mm. And everyone else just kind of just did the job, knowing this is going to be like a big piece of shit. And sometimes when you're making anything project-wise, like whether it's, you know, you're writing a song or whether you're writing a book or filming something, you don't know it's going to be good or bad until you get to the, when it's all put together and go, that's true. Oh, this is a mess. Yeah, I think that's often the case we encounter with bad sequels and mm. stuff. People go in with the best intentions and then a, and a big piece of shit comes out the other side. Like, <laughs> yeah. People don't, 
often go out of their way. There are exceptions to this, obviously. People don't go out of their way to make bad films and bad stuff yeah. on purpose for the majority. Mm. Some people do for satire and irony and for the hell of it and whatever, mm. you know, all that kind of commentary sure, on that sure. kind of stuff. But nobody goes out of their way to make a unsuccessful bad it, film. It's also very hard to do. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. To actually actively Unless you're Tommy Wiseau. Well, but he was trying to make a good film. Um, <laughs> so the problem with this is that um, the film obviously comes out now. In Commode's words, he believes that the film is self-aware. He says all this stuff is the actors and the writer and the director having a bit of a laugh and saying, look, here's some painful dialogue, but they know it's shit. It's like, no, they no. don't. They're not going in saying we're going to make a, have a bit of a fucking laugh and a joke at face scene. They're taking themselves remarkably seriously. There's a bit of a wink and a nod in terms of like Basic Instinct One because it's trying to be like we're doing some risque stuff here. Yeah. It's really rope, it's but you know what? To, yeah, you know you're all fucking thinking it's it's trying to be like you know it's it's a lurid film, but you're pretty lurid as well. You're into it. You're watching it. What do you think? It's like oh god. Whereas Basic Instinct Two is like oh, do you like some? grubby knickers yeah. it's like this is just bad here's Sharon Stone in a jacuzzi and she's not got a top on oh, it's oh, remarkably really? like a lot of vagina in Austin, Austin Powers, Powers. <laughs> yeah. so, you say, so it could be saying like oh well yeah clearly they're not taking this seriously they're trying to make you know a, a basic instinct for the two, 2000s and like no they're trying to get a movie that they've been trying to get off the ground mm. for a decade, a decade yeah, and it's shit yeah. I think it's something you touched on that, and you mentioned earlier, Tim, that I think is interesting. Because I think the reason I dislike Basic Instinct 2, and the reason Basic Instinct, the first one, doesn't particularly click with me, because I still feel like they take themselves very seriously. Sure. I know Tim and I seem to disagree about this, but like that was one of the things I found most jarring about the first one. I felt it took itself very seriously, too seriously, because it is a bit schlocky, and it is a bit silly in places, but like, doesn't seem to lean into that stuff. And then the second one dials that up to 11 and is like, no, this is a, she is a, she is the next Hannibal. She is the female serial killer. She's the coolest. She's the best, mm. most super powered mega serial killer. Yeah. We're dealing, we're dealing with some real psych, deep psychology here. It's like, no, you're dealing with the poppiest of the pop psychology. We need to get yeah. a psychiatrist as the main character to really delve deep into Catherine's psyche and all this kind of stuff. It's fucking, we, we touched on it with National Treasure and stuff. It's Dan Brown style. Oh yeah, train novella. Those paperback things you find like, oh, I'm in an mm -hmm, airport. I need to grab mm -hmm. a book for the flight. Those little paperbacks that you yeah. just read and never think of mm -hmm. ever again, and they're written like a big piece of shit. Yeah, and all based on the idea of what what psychology is and so the act of psychotherapy. It's like it's just a guy in a room with a woman, and it's all confidential. It's like you do realize that it's still documented, and at the same time, the psychotherapist. Has to go to a psychotherapist. Yeah, that's yeah, there's a part whole of the chain job. of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You 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 have to be checked out to see if you're okay to check on other people. It's that sort of safety net to ensure that what doesn't happen is a fucking you know unhinged individual starts fucking all their mm -hmm. patients. Obviously, it does happen and it's very bad. And they, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. There are meant to be these strict rules and regulations, mm. especially in a criminal fucking case. Mm. Slight tangent, but they have glass B. What seems to be like the police go to psychotherapist, mm -hmm. yeah. and yeah. like he's had clients in the past who like, and the, the, there's this whole thing of like a client in the past, like he didn't see it coming, and then the person went on and killed like his family, and yeah. then there's yeah. a, the controversy, and that's what the 
journalists trying to find out about. But they also like, but he seems to be like the police's kind of almost like their their in house guy in in house guy. <laughs> but then he's also publishing like academic journals and gets starstruck by oh. Gerst is here, um, and this <laughs> fucking Heathcote Williams in oh, this nice. like, yeah. I don't know if that's his hair or a wig or a wig on top of his hair. <laughs> wig, wig, hundred percent wig. Yeah, <sighs> like he's just this bizarre looking character who's meant to be like this. Oh, he's so so profound. Like talk. Oh yes, he, he talks about Nietzsche, Nietzsche and 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 stuff like that. And <laughs> oh, he's so so clever. And then, like, Sharon Stone shows up, and he's clearly just like, mm, boobs. Um, <laughs> it's, and it's like, who, what is this? Like, this is not how therapists work, especially, like, if they're, if he's the one who's attached to the police force, like, he would have, oh, uh, yeah, it's so. The, the, it's, it's pure fantasy. Yeah. And, and it's, it's stupid fantasy. And like, like Jack says, it's incredibly stupid, and it's taking itself so po-faced. Yeah, 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 definitely. There's. That as rough and awful as Basic Instinct sounds, there is an overarching like, oh, there's a sense of danger, and the the score is very good. For example, mm. sake, and it run the theme for Basic Instinct is is quite mm. evocative yeah, of the time yeah. period. Mm. Um, but at the same time, there is also this sly sort of wry smile, whereas Basic Instinct Two feels, as I say, very grubby and rem and at the same time remarkably flat. Yeah. It, yeah, it's well. Yeah, it's. I think part of that is how it's shot because Verhoeven and 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 Yonderbond shooting. Um, mm. it, Basic Instinct has a kind of sheen to it. It's a very '90s look to it. Yes. but there is style to it. Whereas, like Basic Instinct Two, there's very little like visual imagination. It's just shot like. It's sterile and clean, is what it's it is. It's sterile, yeah. which is such a weird approach to take to something that's meant to be so like it's basic instincts. This is meant to be like visceral stuff. You're meant to believe Raw these characters, and dirty, yeah, and yeah, exactly. Definitely. You're meant to believe these characters are like so overpowered by being horny for each other that like they're going out of their minds, literally murder people, and for, they're yeah. yeah, yeah, and they're shooting it like it's a fucking dentist's commercial. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's again. This is the thing. I think I wonder if that comes down to. Realizing halfway through the production what this is and going, oh, I'll just do enough yeah. to get it done properly. Yeah, definitely. I won't let's, ham it. Let's not bother it. with fucking fancy lighting setups and like setting a mood. Functional, good enough, guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and again, to go back to the first one, it has that stuff. It has very like noir style, atmospheric lighting and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Like you said, pretty decent score and soundtrack and stuff. Like they lean into those elements that make it feel high budget for want of a better phrase like sure. well produced and well made and high budget and all that kind of stuff a hollywood picture yeah a hollywood movie mm. and it's like as we said earlier like the second one just feels like a bit of a high-ish budget tv movie where it's mm. like if it was made today in some like hbo special or something you'd be like oh yeah okay I'm sure if you put it like a, like a whatever's the most recent thing on um BBC or ITV. Like Line of Duty or Line the Bodyguard yeah, 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 yeah. or something Perfect. like Digital, that. Yeah. I think is one of the minute. That kind of yeah. looked, it, it looks, and for 2006, that's not bad. But mm. that was, again, 15 fucking years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we should point out that Verhoeven, this is all allegedly, the infamous scene in the first Basic oh, Instinct. Yeah. We need to talk about this. Yeah. Um, after the first screening, whether it was like Cannes or whatever the fucking thing was premiered, um, Sharon Stone walked up to Verhoeven and slapped him in the face 
because she wasn't aware he was filming the camera right up her badge, effectively. Um, this was a, it's like she she was told there was a diff- slightly different angle, and you wouldn't see anything. She she originally it, had underwear on mm. was the plan, yes, for the shot, and they eventually like wangled and manipulated her and all be this more kind of in character. Like, It'd be better if you yeah, 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 saying exactly. like it was making like a reflection in one of the yes, cameras yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the white which... underwear was like too bright on the camera and all this kind of stuff. Which sounds like some real skeezy bullshit. Mm. Again, all allegedly, blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, all that kind of stuff. Mm. But knowing what we know, and funny enough, Peyton Jones has a history with Weinstein yeah, and fighting that's back true. against Weinstein and has lost jobs because he told him to fuck off, basically. Yeah. yeah. Because he described women as uh, not attractive enough. I'm, that's not the words that Harvey Weinstein uses. I'm oh, editing Weinstein yeah, yeah, yeah. here because mm. he's a fucking disgusting monster. Mm. But. Seems like there was some real horrible shit happening on the first set as well, and like, That's yeah, it's such a famous scene and kind of, I, I don't necessarily launched her career, but it also kind it's of what like Sharon Stone is known for, being and it also pigeonholed her as well. Exactly, That's yeah, true. it was kind of like maybe if that scene wasn't in there, maybe the film wouldn't have been as successful, mm. and she wouldn't have been known as Catherine Tremell and all this kind of stuff. But maybe if it was slightly more tasteful, she would have gone on to have a more kind of like, for want of a better phrase, tasteful career. And going because sure, sure. now the expectation is like, oh, it's Sharon Stone. When's she gonna flash a Volvo? Well, well, like this, that was the thing she became known for. Yeah, I mean, we know the name Sharon Stone. It's a household name. Mm. But at the same time, can you name five Sharon Stone yeah. lead movies? Why is it a household yeah. name? Mm. It, you know it because of Basic Instinct and the Four Around. It's like, oh, I see. I love the Quick and the Dead. Yeah, sure, mm. sure, sure. Oh, I love fucking Catwoman. Yeah. Like, okay, brilliant. <laughs> But the truth is, the general public think, oh yeah, Sharon Stone, she's a sexy blonde actress. Mm. Why do you think that? And she she did get typecast into those, well, Horribly it's, so. yep. yeah, exactly. I, like she did like Sliver and stuff like that. Yeah. It was a big piece of shit. Um, and her career kind of died when these like erotic thrillers died as well. That's like, true. She like was then not in, you know, like she did Casino and stuff, which was probably around the same time. And then. Like she goes away for a while. Like mm, she's still true. in stuff, but it's not hardly on the same level. Mm. And I think like she's now maybe going through like a little bit of a career renaissance. And I think I could imagine her doing like more stuff on TV where there's often better roles for women and stuff like that. But mm. like, yeah, she's had a like weird career and it does seem tied to these sorts of films. I remember her appearing in the Disaster Artist as the uh, the agent. Oh yeah, like, holy yeah. fuck, that's Sharon Stone. Because you just think, where the fuck have you been? I'm yeah, saying? and that's that's who not... then like makes yeah. a pass at um, Franco. uh, Franco's character, yeah, Dave yeah. Franco. Yeah, and that's kind of the point. It is that you always think like, oh, where have you been? It's like, well, the industry has been shutting you out most of the time. You don't just yeah. choose to stop acting most of the time. Yeah, it's the it's there. So. We wouldn't necessarily recommend the either of these movies. Definitely the second one. The first one is an interesting bit of cinema history to a degree, mm. but there are better examples. Obviously, it just happened to be one of the first major ones that people recognisably remembered. Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly one million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and standard printer, no special supplies or equipment, and within minutes you're up and running, 
printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup and drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new Rate Advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk, and with our promo code POD, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in P-O-D. That's stamps.com, promo code P-O-D. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. <laughs> now, I don't know if uh, if Catherine Trammell narrates her books, like has them available Ooh, as audio yeah. books. Who, who does the audiobook version of um, those those fictional novels? That's a good question. I love Scott. <laughs> Michael Douglas. Yeah. Sadly, we'll never know. But <laughs> if coked out Nick Curran, <laughs> <laughs> if they did exist, I'm sure you would be able to find them on Audible, uh, who is our sponsor. Audible has thousands upon thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, and all kinds of audio content for you comedy specials, uh, guided meditations, whatever you could want to stick in your ears. Audible has it you can get uh audible's app for free um and get a 30 day free trial uh and one free audiobook thanks to their sponsorship of us go to audibletrial.com slash sequel and claim your 30 days free with one free audiobook we uh we mentioned him earlier in the episode uh, we'd like to recommend Mark Kermode's The Good, The Bad, and The Multiplex, mm-hmm. which is a really good kind of covers like modern cinema and uh, just kind of an overview of what's good out there, what's terrible out there, his uh, bad opinions on Basic Instinct 2 <laughs> notwithstanding. Yeah, it, it, it touches on Basic Instinct as well. It's included in there. <laughs> yes. Um but yeah, Audible is a really handy app. You can download um, all the content so you can listen to it offline, anywhere, anytime. Listen across devices without losing your spot. Really handy app. And uh, like we say, there's thousands upon thousands of different options for your listening pleasure there. Uh, and you can get a 30-day free trial and one free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com slash so we talked about the controversy with these movies. We talked about the success in certain capacities and mm. the lack thereof with the mm-hmm. second one. Um, but it's time to talk some official figures now. Ooh. Um, we're going to be talking about Rotten Tomatoes. Um, this is just your first time listening to the show. Hello. Smutty, innit? Um, <laughs> we're not... Um, we're sometimes this smutty. We're usually we're not quite this rude. smutty. Yeah. But we're British. So yeah. yeah. That is. We, we swear a lot. Yes, exactly. We appreciate that Rotten Tomatoes is not exactly a complete, accurate aggregate score. It is the uh, percentage of uh, approved critics that give it a 6 out of 10 or a a 3 out of 5. A positive review. A positive review, exactly. Uh, So so arguably above average. And on top of this, the score 
changes over time when you know more people are added onto the list or more reviews things and historically speaking not everything is retroactively put in anyway yeah so, they they go through yeah. an archive the old historical like yeah contemporary to the time of the film's release mm. reviews and as much as they can and all so that if you're kind of outraged by the numbers it's all right but it's a good metric for us and it's interesting talking points we obviously always do it and we it's enjoy a bit doing of fun it. in it exactly i will be talking about the uh critic score and the audience score as well this time just so you know but just for basic instinct and basic instinct 2 okay so uh let's start with tim mm. tim what's your opinion about basic instinct uh in terms of the critic score please from Rotten i reckon this would have split critics at the time mm. i think there would be a lot who would be like it's just trash i think there would be some who would be it's high quality it's good trash Definitely, yeah. Um, so I am gonna go spot on fifty percent. Okay, interesting. Jack, what are you thinking? I'm thinking slightly higher because I think them. I think you're definitely right, Tim. You're along the right sort of lines, definitely. Mm. But I'm thinking there might be some people that were like, mm, "It's pushing the boundaries, darling." Or a bit of European sexiness in <laughs> in, in American cinema. That's what sure, we've been sure. needing for the last few decades. So I'm gonna go. 69, dude. 69. <laughs> I, I, a sexual thing. I know, right? I was um, going to go a bit lower, but I, and, and my brain just went, oh, there's a joke to be had there. <laughs> he says, Hilarious original joke to be had. He says, talking about going a bit lower. Okay, Tim. <clears throat> Matron. Basic Instinct 2. It's bad. It's going to be lower, right? Significantly lower. Yeah. It has to yeah. be. Um, I, just one thing I wanted to, I forgot to mention it like when we were sure, talking sure. about the film, but it's got a surprisingly stacked like supporting cast. Yeah, like, British people. It's got loads of really great British people. Like it's got. Which Hugh, for American audiences means nothing. <laughs> yeah, like Hugh Dancy shows up as um, the, the journalist who yes, dies. Yes. Indira Varma is, is Glass's ex wife. Charlotte mm. Rampling, we mentioned. Like it's got a lot of really good actors in it and no one's doing a good job this thing he might say oh i mean obviously in 2006 these mm. people are known but it's like yeah, yeah. and rampling is in june at the minute yeah. uh dancy's obviously been in hannibal we're talking about sexy hannibal yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. it's it's like these are capable individuals yeah. uh, obviously even morrissey went on to be like known most from most people in the fucking walking, walking dead, dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah okay he was in doctor who he's been in like yeah yeah, yeah. it's certainly in like the geeky kind of circles and stuff mm. for sure so but how did he do in Sharon Stone? He did bad. They all <laughs> did bad. No one came out of this looking good. Um, I'm going to say, based on the Mark Commode quote from earlier, mm. I think this is a real low mm. figure. I'm going to say... single digits? I'm not going to go single digits. I'm going to say 12%. <laughs> 12%? 12%. Interesting. Jack, are you going uh, fingers or, or whole hands? Oh, I hate you so much, Matthew. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Just for that, I'm going to have to go full fist, I'm afraid. Ten? Uh, no, no. That's, oh, five. Double fist, 20. How many fingers do you have your hand on? <laughs> it's, that's the joke. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. 20, okay. Why not? Uh, let me do a quick tabulation. Beep, 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 beep. Tim one. Yeah. I'm, I, d I did joke numbers, it's fine. <laughs> uh, I'm no, not taking it seriously enough, not like Basic Instinct 2 does. No, so I'll go through these with you. Uh, Basic Instinct 1, critical review. Uh, you guys said 50 and 69 respectively. 
um, the answer was 55. Oh, okay. I, yeah, nice. it, yeah, yeah, very yeah. much polarizing thing. Yeah. Some mm. people saying, well, actually, there's a lot to be credited here. It's actually mm. a very bold thing. It may not be good. It may be overly fetishized, but it still represents. Mm. So it's doing stuff. Funnily enough, before I went to 69, because of course I did, I was thinking 60, which was split, split, which split, was split yeah. the difference there. So yeah. That would have yeah. been a thing, yeah. Even when they're complimenting it, no one's saying it's the best fucking film. Yeah. They're saying, oh, you yeah. have to see it to believe it kind of thing, but that's about it. Yeah, well done, Tim. Audience score, if you'd like to know. Yeah, I'm intrigued. Oh, yeah. yeah. 63%. Oh, yeah, so close. Oh, very. Eh. It makes sense because I think, especially as time Prudence. goes on, there's not that, like. It's not that racy. It's, not, it's that... not, yeah. People, you know, watch it now and go, like, yeah. Sure. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing. With, with from a contemporary view, a, 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 you know, modern lens, it's like, yeah, it's fine. Mm. It, it's not doing yeah, much. Yeah. Mm. But from a nice view, it was like, oh, it's scandalous. And it's like, mm. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. So, Basic Instinct 2, big piece of shit. Uh, 12 and 20, respectively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The score was lower. Oh, Ooh. single digits? Single digits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we haven't done that in a while. We haven't had yeah. a single digit in a, in a long time, I don't think. Yeah. A fist and a thumb in there. Um, six. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yep, six. Uh, big piece of shit. Uh, audience score. Uh oh. Different. Oh, uh, what? The, right. What have Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> users done now? <laughs> oh no. Um, they would be higher than the first one. Was, no, no, nothing crazy, but okay. still like wrong. Too high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Twenty six. I mean. That's the, it's yeah, bad. That it's bad. really it's bad. bad. I, yeah, yeah. But it's again, like, my twenty was an overshot. Ha yeah. ha. Like it's like oh, it's fucking terrible. I got a boner though, so can't be worth something, right? Yeah, I, mean, I guess my, that's my worry. Yeah. So, uh, critically speaking, neither of these films are lauded with praise. Neither, are, well, I mean, obviously, one is lambasted entirely because it's a big piece of shit. Yeah. Um, the other one's basically instinct too. But yeah, so 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 they are. I think. In another 10 years, forgotten landmarks of cinema. Mm. I think people will just have no clue. Maybe even now. Um, a footnote in someone's clever essay in a university saying, oh shit, basically. Yeah, well, yeah. I just want to reference that one. Fair mm. enough. Um, but in truth, even listeners now listening to the show think, oh yeah, basic instinct, fucking hell. That might be the impact. Yep. Yeah. Although I will say, I think it's still probably the role that Michael Douglas is best known for. Oh, interesting. As well as Sharon Stone. Mm. Definitely Sharon Stone. Michael Douglas is one of those people. I had this conversation with Emma when, because I, I did a usual thing where I watched it and she was like cross stitching or mm -hmm. reading, but like she will watch it over my shoulder because we've got the TV in the living room and stuff. Mm. And she was like, Is that Michael Douglas? I'm like, Yeah, it is. I'm like, What do you think of when you think of Michael Douglas? She was like, Catherine Zeta Jones? I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, Think of a standout role that's like really impacted. I think of like... Kirk Douglas's balls. <laughs> <laughs> think of like a real like pivotal moment in his career, some huge blockbuster, some amazing thing. It's like he's an Ant Man. Like that's why I think people recognize oh, him was, from that now. Was Twenty mm. years later, like mm. yeah, what did he do yeah. in the in the like ten years prior to Basic Instinct <laughs> and the twenty years between that and Ant Man? Like, well, I I think from from my wanky perspective i know him as three things obviously, well, obviously you do Matthew. I know I yeah do. but i think a lot of people might think as well so film connoisseur me is like because i'm so baffled by this he is the producer of one flew over the cuckoo's nest what 
Because he, when he was a kid, he a kid, younger man, he bought the rights to the book. Oh, and wow. so when they produced the film, he's entrepreneurial, the entrepreneurial little shit. But yeah, very Kirk, Kirk Douglas got, got that Kirk Douglas money. Yes, yeah, that's very true. <coughs> yeah. But if I was to say what he's most known for in my head, so we say entrepreneurial little shit. I say we. I just said that. Yes, he was my age when he did that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was thinking like. How old like is he now? No, like, he's fucking old. He was 31 when he did it. I was like, well, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, though. yeah he's, I thought he was like, he was a 15-year-old just spending all of his dad's money. <laughs> no, no, no. He's in his fucking 30s. Yeah, he was investing as an adult, yeah. But the thing I know him for, or recognize him for, or think of every time, is greed is good. I think of him from mm. Wall Street. That's, yep. that's the yup. That's yep. my thing. And I know, like, obviously you've got, like, um... Romancing the Stone and all that sort of yeah. stuff as well, and then War of the Roses and him being this whole mm. thing. Yeah, Romancing the Stone's probably but the one I, I would think You're of. right, Basic Instinct is a big one. But mm. to a modern audience, to kids today, oh shit, Hank Pym. Mm. That's what people think of. Yeah. I think of him because it, uh, I've mentioned it in our literary adaptations oh, yeah. episode, uh, Wonder Boys. Yeah, yes, which is him of course. When you're playing, films, right? playing yeah. against type as well, um, mm. and, and not at all that not being like, a dirtbag. <laughs> He's, I mean, he's still kind of a dirtbag <laughs> in it, but he's he's less sleazy. He's less sleazy and he's less well put together. Right, which right, is yeah. he's got none of that Gordon Gecko sheen. He's yeah, yeah. he's like in a lady's dressing gown for like a significant chunk of the film. Yeah. So obviously that's the uh, critical analysis out of the way. Uh, those who are familiar with our Discord, if you're not, the links are on Twitter and other bits and pieces. You can get invited to go there. There's a genuinely really nice community. Everyone's really spoiled. We talk about the episodes. They get little teasers go out beforehand. Go, it's go all to, very cool. Go to superlizers.com. There's a big link there. You exactly. click the invite, you'll find it easily. But Tim has gained a reputation. <laughs> Some would say completely unfair. There's an emoji <laughs> on yes. our Discord created by not one of us, I hasten to <laughs> Correct. Add. It is an organic thing that has happened because Tim had the audacity in his Prometheus fix to put in a sex scene, mm. which became the idea that Tim is horny, horny Tim. <laughs> horny Tim is, yeah, exactly. And so when we were divvying up these, it was like, who's doing Basic Instinct 2? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know what's going to happen here. So I think when the audience realize what's happening, there'll be a subsect of the people who are on the Discord going, oh shit, horny Tim's yeah. being out. So, so there's some pressure there, but I'm genuinely curious because not necessarily because of like the sex stuff. I'm curious because Basic Instinct is such a weird, and it's not like overly convoluted, but it's quite an involved narrative. Mm. So I, again, I'm not sure where I would go with it is what I'm trying to get at, basically. So I'm curious yeah. to see where you're going to go with this. But as you say, 90s, that's a good fucking start. Yeah. Time, time for me to be horny on main. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I... I... Oh, no. Had a lot of thoughts about where I wanted to go with this. But you did, you dirty little fuck. <laughs> Sorry, what's that? <laughs> um, and I, I do want to preface this by saying, like, like we mentioned, like, Basic Instinct has had like kind of a reappraisal in the years since it's come out, and people have talked about it in terms of like queer cinema studies and, sure, and stuff sure. like that. Um, like Catherine Trammell is like bisexual, which is you know, especially at the time, was like quite kind of revolutionary it's not the greatest in terms of like positive representation fuck no um and like my film i have not tried to like steer it around and like there's still some you're writing it in the 90s for a 90s audience exactly yeah there's still some like problem problematic tropes that it yeah. falls into which i'm aware like they're, they're 
I could have like steered really hard away from that and tried to produce something that was like, oh no, like it's full of like great representation. It's like, but that's not, especially like Catherine Trammell's character is a mm. manipulative, horrible person, just yeah. a trash monster of a human being. Um, and so, like, if you're if you're not comfortable like with that, then don't watch Basic Instinct and you know I'm would not be begrudging anyone if they were like I don't want to you know listen to any of the the pitch or whatever. I mean, if they made it this far, <laughs> yeah. But I would I would say this is the conceit of sequelizers. I think a lot of people don't necessarily always understand. It's not it's not just a sense of fan fiction. Write what you want to write. It's like write an improved version. Write a better sequel. Mm. Now you can move across the time. You can do what you want. You recast. That's obviously the 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 um, tools that we give ourselves. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it still has to feel like a follow-on to that movie. Or at least we yeah. attempt to. We try to as best as we can. Yeah. And if you and we, we like my national treasure, for example, is like me getting like concerned that I was doing too much that's historically correct. <laughs> it's like you know, you 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 do end up thinking uh, uh, or or Jack's Rambo pitch, for example. It's like it doesn't go down the road where it's going to be nothing but the action that the other one was. It's like, right, yes, yeah, but yeah. that makes sense because it still feels true to the first one. If anything, that's more of a close hewing than the other one uh, that yeah, came well, out. Yeah, we talk about the tonal whiplash and stuff Precisely, of all these bad sequels yeah. and where they take the first one and just ignore it or whatever. Yeah. Actually straying closer to the second one carefully, I hasten to add, because mm. we already talked about how Basic Instinct 2 is basically just doing the first one, but worse. Sure. You can, we can wiggle that sort of gray area a little bit and get in there and, and mm. craft something hopefully interesting and engaging. And yeah, that, yeah. And so that's how a, I always feel about it at least. entirely. And for a basic instinct, I would expect this to be salacious and challenging and mm. controversial and grubby and seedy, potentially at least. Yeah. Especially if it's in the 90s. Yeah. That's uh, if you why it was given to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> given to the gutter boy. But at the same time... <laughs> no, that's a new nickname. <laughs> um, if, it was, if it was like a 2020s geriatric film, yeah. <laughs> it would have a tiny different narrative. Oh, do you remember when pace. that thing happened where all the old blokes were just in films together? It was just... Yeah, well, Michael Douglas is in a fucking game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in yeah. Last Vegas and all that. Oh, oh that was my yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I blame exactly. the bucket list. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, percent. Good point. So yeah, all that said, mm. here's my pitch, and I'm very interested to see what you guys make of I'm it. I'm very mm. curious. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, title wise, I've just gone Basic Instinct two. Fair. I, Smart. I I tried to think of like something interesting. And I did the same with Time Cop, mate. And especially in the nineties, like the mid nineties, it's what else would you call it? Yeah. Yeah. I think I mean, you're just gonna go for that. We know we like to have a new title, it really works. It's like sometimes you're like, no, it it, it doesn't feel right. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah absolutely. I'm yeah. I'm open if people come up with ideas, but I've just gone sure. basic instinct too. Fair, fair. Might class it up a bit and do Roman numerals rather than mm, numbers. Oh, yes, yeah. definitely do that. The fact that this one has a number rather than two eyes pisses me off. <laughs> I don't know why it does. Because we love two eyes. That's our logo. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good point. Mm. It comes out on the 9th of August, nineteen ninety six. You've done this before, Tim, where you've picked a specific day. Yeah. Oh, you've done this as well, potentially, Matt. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm the only one who hasn't done a specific day so far. <laughs> a whole lot of season nine left. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Maybe I'll have to do it later on season. Yeah. Uh why? What's what's up? It's I understand. Ninety-six. We talked. We talked about like fourteen years is way too far away yeah. from the first one. Four years later, totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
9th of August. What's that all about? I've done the thing where essentially the film comes out when the events of the film are meant to be happening. Ah, oh, interesting. interesting. Um, and there's a reason that it's set at that time of cool. year. Cool. Okay. So it's just a little nod towards that. Cool. Lovely. Sure, sure. Lovely stuff. Director. Mm. I have gone with Jane Campion. Oh, nice. So you're going for more of a serious thing, basically. Kind uh, of, yeah. Of, yeah. Um, so for people who aren't familiar, she uh, she made The Piano. Harvey Keitel's bum comes out in that. So there you go. That's yep. new to see. She's experienced with that. Uh, and <laughs> I forget if she was nominated. Obviously, Anna Paquin was nominated. Oscar nomination stuff, yeah. Also, yeah. also known for nudity. Yep. So far, so good. Not at that age, but yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> sorry, sorry, yes. Um, does a few other Later films, um, like most notably for me, uh, In the Cut with yeah, uh, yeah. Meg Ryan and Mark Ruffalo, which is kind of basic instincty. It um, is, yeah. And, and, and a bit sexy. Um, then was kind of mostly doing TV, did Top of the Lake. I really like Top of the Lake. Mm. The record, um, yeah. And then this year has uh, The Power of the Dog, which is a Western starring oh, a whole cool. bunch of famous people coming out. At nice. the London Film Festival. Yes. So she is my choice. This would replace her. She does like a an adaptation of portrait a, of a lady. Portrait of a lady, mm. which didn't get great reviews, yes. and so I'm, I'm I'm replacing that with this. I mean, she's she so she would have done the piano, which again huge critical acclaim. Yeah, and I think she won the Oscar for like the screenplay or something. It wasn't it wasn't directing. I think it was the screenplay. There's obviously no, yeah. no lady director yeah. Oscar. Um, but yeah, I think she got it for for writing. Um. So she'd be going from that to this. Yeah. And that would have been a big property move. That would have been, mm. you know, mm. um, okay, what are you going to do now? I'm going to take this. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. What a controversial work. So mm. interesting. Also from a woman's perspective. So that's. Yes. Yeah. Given the shittiness that happened to Sharon Stone on the first one, I thought having a female director yeah. would help get her on board again quicker. Obviously, she did eventually come back. But as we've noted, like Michael Caton Jones seems to have a good reputation in terms mm. of. Uh, standing up to shitty people, so um, yeah, mm-hmm. I thought that was important. Yeah, um, I've also uh, we haven't done this for a little while. Uh, I picked a cinematographer and a composer. Oh, interesting. I think yeah, we haven't done that in a long time. The, uh, yeah, yeah. Kind of film this is. Yeah, sure. Uh, so mm. for cinematographer, I've gone with, and I have no idea if I'm pronouncing this right, Dion Beebe or Beeb. Um, I think it's Beebe. Yeah, Beebe. he is uh, a cinematographer. He um, works with Jane Campion um, on. Uh, in the car and Holy Smoke mm. as well. So I'm essentially fast forwarding to their like collaboration, getting sure, that sure, a little bit sense. earlier. But he's um Australian and she's New Zealander, so that's kind of they knew each other from that industry in that part of the world. Yeah, of course. Um, he had done Crush and Vacant Possession, neither of which I've really heard of before. Uh, at this point, but he goes on to make uh to to be the director of photography or cinematographer on uh Chicago. Yeah. Um he works a lot with Rob Marshall. Yeah. Um does uh a few other projects with him. Also works uh does Collateral and Miami Vice with Michael Mann. Yeah. Pushing a lot of that digital photography as yeah. well. Yeah. So being quite open to another Rob Marshall one that I sprung to mind when you said that I was like Dion Bieber. Memoirs of a Geisha is the yes. one that really sounds yes. yes. to me as well. Yeah. It's all rich colours and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh and then composer. I'm getting Giorgio Moroder to do oh, the score. Oh, oh. Strap ourselves in. Uh, Here we let's go. Let's talk about this, Tim. What, what, what are you doing, Tim? What are you doing? <laughs> what, so, what's the problem with Jerry Goldsmith, Tim? <laughs> oh, no, oh, God, it is a goldsmith. Of course it's a goldsmith. We'll, we'll take the theme, you know, and we're just, we're just going to... Abandon synth- the master? We'll just synth-, synth it up a bit. We're just going to synth it up a bit. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to... I'm, I'm, you know what? 
Well, fuck you. But I'm allowing it. <laughs> well, fuck you. Do you, some, do you want some sexy disco music, Matthew? Don't need it. I got fucking Goldsmith giving me gold. Smithing it. <laughs> Smith that gold. Smithing that gold for me. That sort of amazing uh, string like that. Uh, fuck you, Tim. But that's fine. Uh, Tim, it's your thing. Wow. Yeah. You have a vision. It'll go with what you got visually. Yeah. I get it. I'm, I, I'm, I'm I, hurt. I, I, I get it. Giorgio Moroda, Tim. I yeah. approve. And he has, yeah, he's obviously best known for like being a disco like musician yeah. Pioneer, and producer. basically. Yeah. Pioneer. Sure. Um, but has also done a number of scores, did Midnight Express, did America Gigolo, Cat People, Flashdance, Which again, Scarface. are very interesting and very good scores. You've genuinely picked someone who I think could probably do something that would fit your film, hopefully. I think that sounds mm. really interesting. I just have a I bit think... of a horn for, for Goldsmith. Uh, we yeah. know you do. Horny Matt. Yeah. The return of Horny Matt specifically for Jerry Goldsmith. Mm. But I think Marauder's an interesting choice. Like the films you list out there, Tim, don't they all have a very clear atmosphere mm-hmm. oh yeah definitely. i think bringing Moroder on straight away sets such a different precedent away from what goldsmith does and because mm. they, they are such different composers and musicians in in and in their influences and their styles and stuff like that's sure, a really interesting sure. choice mm. and it was it was kind of influenced by i wasn't listening to Moroder as i wrote the script for this i Darth was listening uh no oh. i was listening to uh <laughs> A lot of metric and churches. Oh, nice! And I was like, "Oh yeah, how, well, new church sound." How great. can I? How can I kind of like synthesize this? Uh, and and I was like, "Ah, Maroda, he nice. works." Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I get the logic. Returning cast: Sharon Stone as Catherine Trammell. That's it. Nice. Good. Okay. She's killed everyone else. That makes sense. Well, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm curious with the whole. I'm sure it'll be addressed. The whole like, ah, what did happen to Nick? But I'm sure we'll. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. New cast as Meredith Ward, Laura Laura Dern. Hey. You love a Laura Dern. Laura I do Dern. fucking love yeah, Laura Dern. She's great. She's great. She's great. Yep. Um, so she's done Blue Velvet. She's done Wild at Heart. She's done Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park at this point. Yeah. Um, goes on to be in Jurassic Park 3, Last Jedi, Marriage Story. Recently. Amazing performance in Marriage Story. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, she's had a very interesting career where she, so one of the, th- uh, in the mid '90s, she was in the episode of Ellen, the sitcom, mm-hmm. where Ellen comes out and essentially oh. plays the woman who gets her to come out. Oh, yes, interesting! And then basically got blacklisted by Hollywood. Wow, she really fucking did. Um, and I knew she did. Yeah, back hard now. Disappear. Yeah, uh, basically, like David Lynch was the only person who was like, "I still love you" because you're fucking Laura Dern. Yeah. Um, and then she's like now basically like full circle there again. Yeah, back, exactly. But the industry said it's almost like. The industry never comes back cap in hand and says, we're sorry. It's yeah. like, oh, well, maybe you can work on this now. It's like, yeah. and fuck you very much. Yeah. It's like, I'll be a marriage story and show you the best fucking performance in a film with amazing performances. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of preempting that with her role in this. And, Fair but enough. But hoping it's higher profile mm. and, you know, let's right hope storm. she doesn't. Weirdly enough, like you saying out loud, I mean, reading it on the, on the notes in front of me, I was like, I don't know why, but that makes so much sense. Like mm. instantly, Laura Dern fits into that world. I feel like she will slot straight into the kind of again. I don't know what, as we mm-hmm. do now, listeners. We've done for a couple of seasons now. We go in completely blind. Yes. Mm. So Matt and I are finding out this as you were finding this. Well, recording some time, etc. But <laughs> we're going in blind to the to the pitches. We don't know anything Tim has written. We don't know any of the cast, any of the director, all that kind of stuff until Tim announces it and we read it on the show notes in front mm-hmm. of us. So. When you hear it is effectively kind of when we're hearing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but like the kind of neo-noir kind of vibe, I'm like, yeah, I don't totally picture Laura Dern doing that. I mm-hmm. don't know why, but it just clicked in my yeah, head cool, straight cool. away. Mm-hmm. So, 
as Jackson Sykes. Great name. I needed a, I needed a man to bring some raw and grubby sexuality. Is it Sykes inspired by Bill Sykes, Mighty Chance? Maybe a little bit. Oh, okay. Mm. Willem Dafoe. Again. Yeah. Fits in perfectly. Tim. Tim, I'm <laughs> loving this cast, Tim. Yeah, that's good. Uh, okay. So he's done Platoon. He's done Last Temptation of Christ. He's done Clear and Present Danger around he's this a, he's time. A, he's a grubby man. He's a grubby man. No Goes on to do... To controversy in terms of films. No. American Psycho. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. The Lighthouse, etc. Yes. You ever fucked on cocaine, Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> I'm imagining him in the full green goblin suit. Yeah, leaning up against, against legs. Bopping him on the head. <laughs> what are you going to arrest me for? Pumpkin bomb? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, that's actually, Norman, that was the plan. Yeah, yeah. All the murders. <laughs> Back to formula. <laughs> uh, as Elton Pierce. I have Courtney B. Vance. Fuck yes. Nice. I was thinking the other day, because I was watching um, People First O.J. Simpson, and I haven't got around to it before. Yeah. Mm, yeah He's yeah. great in that. Movie. He is. Yeah, really and good. he plays Johnny Cochran. And mm. Courtney B. Vance, oh, so I've good. loved for years, because I love Hunt for an October. Yep. And I think he's got one of those amazing voices. It's like, yes, he controls yeah. this whole he, He's the scene. highlight of the O.J. Simpson series. For sure. Which is again, it, it's yeah, a yeah, really good style performance. A lot of yeah. highlights in it. Really yeah, does, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So that is a, that is a really good ad- addition to the cast. Yeah. I'm, I'm loving that because I, I found myself like I was watching things. I thought I need to put Vance in more of my pictures. Mm. He's great, and then bang, here he is. Here we Brilliant. Go. Yeah. So yeah, just done Hunt for Red October and Dangerous Minds. Mm. Uh, goes on to be in The Preacher's Wife, and then more recently, both American Crime Story and Lovecraft Country. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. So. As Detective Pressfield, Dan Hedaya. Oh, shit. Dan Hedaya. I know him mostly from Alien Resurrection. Oh, he's in... Oh, he's, 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 he's in it with his hairy in, shoulders. Uh, he's, so at this point, he's been in Blood Simple. Yes, he's been in yeah, Commando. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's yes. been in The Usual Suspects. Possibly best known as the dad in Clueless to a certain mm, audience. To a certain audiences, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yep. Uh, goes on to be in Ransom, Life Less Ordinary, Mulholland Drive. Yeah. He's a very 90s looking guy. He is. Yeah, he yes. is. As Sam Troutman, Alfred Molina. Oh. Yay. Love it. You're forming a Sinister Six. <laughs> yes. I didn't realise <laughs> until I was like writing it down, I was like, holy shit, I've got both of the Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about Spider-Man 3. We no. Fixed, we fixed that one. Yeah. Twice. Uh, so yeah, he's be, uh, obviously starts out in Raiders of the Lost Ark, been in Maverick and Species around this time, so he's no stranger to Species. the mm-hmm. erotic yeah. thrillers. Oh, we mentioned him earlier. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, goes on to be in Boogie Nights mm. and Spider-Man 2. And then cool. the new Spider-Man, apparently. Come yeah. On, Peter. Yeah. Uh, as Alan Ackerman, Harris Yulin. <laughs> Who everyone knows is one thing and one thing only. They know him screaming in a courtroom. Yes. Ghostbusters 2. Yes. Oh, that guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's which 80s film do you know him from? Yeah. 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 So uh, he's also in Scarface. Uh, just been in Clear and Present Danger. Yeah. Yeah. Goes on to be in Bean. Uh, he's in Training Day. Uh, and then yeah. recently was in The Place Beyond the Pines. I say recently, that's like 2012. Yeah. But, yeah. You know. He's dead now, right? I don't think he is. Have a look. Feel like, like, again, just like, I haven't seen him in uh, anything for so no, long. I don't think so. Weird. Nope. Nope. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. He's, he's one he's, of those guys. I who's very looked, much alive. He's eighty-three. He's looked <laughs> the same age for a long while. He's one of those. Yeah, for sure. yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, as Doctor Andy Starling, 
Madeline Stowe. Oh, yeah. Um, had a big break in Last of the Mohicans. Um, was it 12 Monkeys around this time? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. That's why I'm on Yeah. 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 Uh, kind of fades out of you a little bit after that, but she was in the uh, Revenge TV show from like the mid 2000s. Oh, okay. okay. oh, yeah, she was yeah. a main character in that. So, yeah. How the audience are going along with me when it's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. blah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that guy, that lady, that's what the thing is. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, as you Serena Barnes, uh, Dina Meyer. Oh, shit. Tim, bringing back Dina Meyer. I think this is the third time she's appeared in sequelizers. Interesting. Because you made more of a point of it in your Saw 3, I believe. Yes. Yeah. 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 And obviously, Starship Troopers yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Both of which would be after this. Um, yeah. She's, been, she's mainly been in Beverly Hills 90210 on TV. Uh, at this point, but she's just been in Johnny Mnemonic, um, and I think Dragonheart, which comes out would come out the Ooh, same year. Yeah. What yeah. a movie! Yeah, I like Dragonheart, and it's nine fucking sequels. <laughs> I say I like Dragonheart. We'll go back to that later. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that is my cast. Mm. Smashing mm. it, Tim. Loving it. I like this. I'm excited, intrigued. Looks like it's not set in tantalized. A little bit horny. That's exactly the right. That's the you're setting the tone there, mate. So, with no further ado. Mm. Get stuck in, Joe. Let's get stuck in. Really? Hey, hey. In Los Angeles, a young woman gazes out of her window, having just had sex with an unseen partner. Horny Tim. <laughs> Sentence one. Amazing. She lights up a cigarette and turns back to her partner, just in time to see them lunge towards her. There is a brief struggle, and the woman is strangled with a leather belt. Dumping her body on the bed, we see the killer reach for something on a nearby table. An ice pick. Oh, doing a basic instinct one. Yeah, I guess that's so. not a bad thing. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. That, I, I, again, we said about like you know just doing the same plot again. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. More importantly, mm -hmm. you can always open the same way because wouldn't yeah. go. Ooh, yeah, yeah. The next morning, the police discover the body and tape off the scene. As Detective Pressfield examines the apartment, two FBI agents arrive: Meredith Ward and Elton Pierce. These are basic instinct ass names, by the <laughs> way. Tim. Didn't mention the. I mentioned how much I like the cast and stuff. These names. Mm. Yep. Pressfield and the FBI agents go over the details of the murder. The woman had sex shortly before the murder. There is no sign of sexual assault. She was strangled to death, and after dying, a number of puncture wounds were made onto her stomach. The agents explain why they have been assigned to the case. The MO of the murderer matches a serial killer, Jackson Sykes and the FBI is worried that a copycat may be on the loose. Pressfield asks why they are so sure that it isn't Sykes himself, and Ward responds, because he was executed 18 months ago. Mm. Mm, interesting. Intrigue already. Fucking great. Yeah. Ward and Pierce begin looking into who visited Sykes in prison before his execution, and a name catches Ward's eye. That evening, she and Pierce drive across town to the new home of Catherine Trammell. Of course. Who has moved mm. to Los Angeles since the events of the last film. Catherine and her hunky lover greet the FBI agents who ask her about her relationship with Sykes. Yes, uh, have you cast her hunky lover? I haven't cast her oh, hunky okay, lover. Okay. He's a hunky man. That's all you man. need to know. 90s hunky man. And got the gold curtains and stuff. <laughs> got big, big muscles. Mm. Looks like Peter Andre. He's basically. very smooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hairless. Hairless but hunky. He's, I'm, I'm going to get that guy from that poster that everyone had in the 90s. of Fabio. Like the, uh, no, like the muscly man who was like cradling a baby. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Showing the like that sensitivity, but also masculinity. Exactly. Mm, yes, love it. 
Catherine explains how Sykes contacted her from prison as a fan of her writing, and the two struck up a correspondence. Initially, they wrote to each other, but in the year leading up to his execution, he visited him several times. Catherine claims that Sykes was in love with her. Of course she would. She's Catherine Schmel. <laughs> but she viewed him purely as fodder for her writing. She asked Ward why the renewed interest in Sykes, deducing that something must have happened, but Meredith refuses to give any information. Flirting with Ward, Catherine offers to help the FBI with their investigation, saying that she can offer some unique insights. No, she can't. <laughs> <laughs> she never can. Uh, Ward turns her down, but as the agents leave, Catherine stops her, telling her to reconsider and that Sykes was one of the most depraved and brilliant minds I ever encountered. Mm. Returning to the FBI office, Ward works late into the night, and during the early hours of the morning, a report from the lab arrives the sperm recovered from the corpse. To horny tip. No, sorry. <laughs> the sperm recovered from the corpse is a DNA match for Jackson Sykes. At the same time, Catherine awakens from a dream of a hazy version of Sykes who tells her, You're mine, Catherine. I'll write our love across the sky in blood. Ooh. Interesting. Just blood, though. No semen. That's a bit. Bit, 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 uh, bit tamed him. The FBI and police decide to keep the DNA evidence under wraps at the moment, assuming that the killer must have somehow got a sample of Sykes' sperm before he died. But the LA Times has received a letter, apparently from Sykes, claiming to have returned to finish my great work and take my place among the eternal. Wow. A bit zodiac kind of thing. Yeah, 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 definitely. Reporter Sam Troutman ambushes Agent Ward as she gets coffee, telling her that he covered Sykes the first time around, and there are patterns that the police missed. However, Detective Pressfield appears, punching Troutman and chasing him off, claiming that he's a sleazy parasite. (laughs) (laughs) A prison guard delivers all of the correspondence sent to Sykes while he was in prison, and the FBI discovers there were multiple women who were obsessive fans of Sykes' work that he wrote to. That happens a lot. That's a thing that happens in Mm. real life quite a lot. Yeah, it's weird. However, there were only a few men who sent him letters, and he never responded to those. Of course he didn't, horny bugger. Frustrated at her lack of progress, Ward returns to talk to Catherine, who says she is not surprised that Sykes had fans. We get a flashback of Catherine visiting Sykes in prison, and they discuss the thrill that he gets from killing. Catherine tells Ward that there's something magnetic about dangerous people. Of course she'd say that. Well done, Tim. That's such a Catherine tremendous thing. And that Ward strikes her as someone who could be dangerous. Flustered, Ward leaves, driving at high speed through the LA night. The next day, Ward and Pierce talked to Alan Ackerman, one of the detectives who caught Sykes. Ackerman, now retired, mentions that there were problems with Sykes' execution. Meanwhile, someone has leaked the DNA details to the press. Ah, fucking so 90s. And there is public panic spreading over the idea of a serial killer returned from the dead. Pierce meets with the coroner to go over the new victim. Just like with Sykes' previous victims, the number of post-mortem puncture wounds is different, ranging from 3 to 17. But in this victim, they found tiny traces of paper. Mm. Ward Mm. visits Dr. Andy Starling, the prison doctor who assisted with Sykes' execution. She describes how a syringe dislodged during the procedure, and it took him over an hour to die. She also mentions that Sykes predicted something like this before his death, and claimed he'd be born again. That night, caving to public demand, the police exhume Sykes' body from his unmarked grave. Oh, I'm intrigued. I am intrigued. And horny. <laughs> I am quite around. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this erection. 
As the earth is dug away, we intercut with Ward in bed at home. She's reading Catherine's book based on her conversations with Sykes. In it, a writer becomes obsessed with a serial killer, and the pair begin killing together. Oh, Catherine's books sound fucking boring. <laughs> so, how is she a bestseller? They're so shit sounding. We just talked about the, the train station and airport bestseller oh, yeah, bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Da Vinci Code and all that nonsense. Yeah. 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 All the schlocky crime thriller bollocks. Ugh. As Ward reads a steamy passage. Hello. Steamy passage. Basic Instinct 2, steamy passage. <laughs> <laughs> In which the writer and the killer have sex, with Catherine narrating, of course. We do we get an audiobook. Tim's written an audiobook. Yep. Yay. That is that is integrated sponsorship, right? Yeah, there. that is. You're welcome, listeners who get the ad version. <laughs> and she begins to masturbate. Maybe not as appropriate for Audible as we thought. <laughs> <laughs> as she climaxes, the police open up Sykes' coffin and discover the body. Is missing. Shit. The next morning, Catherine goes to visit Ward and discovers Troutman lurking outside Ward's apartment. She... I didn't need to read it like that. You've been really lurking. lurking. He's lurking. Well, yeah, it's going to set the mood, isn't it? Is, yeah. Tra- is Troutman inspired by Rambo? <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Troutman? It might be. It might have just leaked into yeah, my brain. Genuinely, yes. that's, yes. that's why I've it's... done that a few times. I've noticed I've stolen surnames. I've been like, oh, that's because I just watched that. In preparation for the next episode, while I'm writing, fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. God did make Catherine Tremell. I did. Who are you? <laughs> the devil. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Oh, Works so well. She recognizes the reporter and confronts him. With the two arguing until she gleefully smashes his car windscreen with a potted plant. I like that for some reason. I don't know why I really like that, but that tickles me. Having heard the noise, Ward emerges to find Catherine sat on the bonnet of the car. Um, the two flirt, and Catherine claims she has information that could prove useful to the case asking to meet Ward that evening at the Griffith Observatory. Very LA. Mm. At the FBI office, Pierce has been tracking down someone who is selling a bunch of Sykes' former belongings to his fans via a website. Ooh, the, the, the early days of the internet being shit. Yeah, yeah classic. He and Ward realise it's the prison guard who delivered Sykes' letters earlier. Didn't cast that guy a bit. Big boss it. man. Yep. <laughs> You've beat me to it! <laughs> <laughs> I fucking knew it! I could hear it in your head! Spooling! Uh, Another they... crossover with Rambo as well. We've got Troutman, yeah. we've got Big Boss Man. They're in the... Who knew they were in the same universe? Basic um... Instinct 2, Last Blood. <laughs> I don't know why I took that, took that to a weird place. But I took it to you a weird did place. take that to a weird Sorry. place. Sorry. Murder, yeah. Matthew, not, not menstruation. Metaphors. Basic Instinct 2, Murder, not menstruation. <laughs> Uh, So it's a prison guard who delivered Sykes' letters earlier and they go to interview him at his apartment. They discover he has been shot and killed and his computer has been stolen. With a winch because they're in big fights. Yeah, that's not easy back in the 90s. Uh, They also find a used condom and realise that the killer may be a woman. Idiots. Condoms can be used by anybody. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Posh wank. <laughs> and a posh wank before we die. Basic Instinct 2. The last posh, posh wank. wank. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Catherine meets with Detective Pressfield, who provides her with a copy of all of Sykes' letters in return for a bribe. He makes a pass at her, but she dismisses him, and he angrily threatens her. He returns to her home and reads through Sykes' letters to his other female fans. 
prompting another flashback to Catherine visiting him in prison. The pair discuss why Sykes always killed during July and August. Release Hello. date, Tim. Here we go. We, we get the explanation here, listeners. And he tells her that something's happened on a cycle that is well beyond our control. They continue to flirt with Catherine leaning close to the glass, dividing them so Sykes can smell her perfume. Ooh. <laughs> Creepy. God, I've again gone, gone started to lambs again. Yep. yep. Oh, he's very, yeah, yeah. Mm. He tells her that he has a, he tells her that he has her scent now and he can follow her anywhere, even after death. That's a really good 90s line. Yeah, it it's is. It's the kind of thing that's like, that doesn't make any fucking sense, you idiot, but it's like, <laughs> it sounds really good. I mean, good. I know we've touched on Hannibal a couple of times, but he's the other serial killer of the 90s, I guess. It was the big mm. thing. But Silence of Lambs is only a few years before this. like One year this, before Basic Instinct. Mm. Exactly, yeah. For, for one, year, one year before the first film. So this definitely... Mm. Yeah. In mindset. the mind there. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Warden Pierce meet with Serena Barnes, one of Sykes's fans that he wrote to. She is still clearly in love with Sykes, but she has an alibi for the recent murder. When she finds out that she is only one of many that Sykes wrote to, she grows angry and reveals that she received a letter from Sykes meant for someone else. He called this person... Princess. And his writing was strange, clunky, and dull compared to his usual romantic style. Mm. I want to put my willy in you! (laughs) (laughs) I like your boobs and your hair. (laughs) I like your hairy boobs. (laughs) I like to pluck on my teeth. Fuck you, Willem Dafoe. (laughs) Masturbating over light bulbs in lighthouses. Ward meets with Catherine at the Griffith Observatory and the pair discuss the case. Catherine digs into Ward's personality, saying that she has closed herself off to be taken seriously at work and that she spends all her time chasing killers, but she never has to chase anything else. Ward tries to steer the conversation back to the case, but Catherine guides her to a secluded spot and points out the Perseid meteor shower, saying that Ward is like a falling star burning up in orbit. Also uh, appropriate for the time of year. Tim, I was going to say, that, that sounds yeah. very pressing, yeah, that very sense. important. As Ward looks up to the stars, Catherine begins to kiss her neck and slips a hand down her trousers. The two begin to kiss passionately and we cut to the pair making love at Catherine's apartment. During this, Ward notices a tattoo of a broken chain on Catherine's shoulder. Hmm? Afterwards, Ward slips out and returns to the office, staring at the board of evidence as images of Catherine flash in her mind. Across town, the killer stalks another woman through her apartment, strangling her, then placing a piece of paper on her stomach, stabbing through it with an ice pick to match the pattern drawn on the paper. The next day, the police and FBI arrive on the scene. As Ward is drawing out the pattern of the stab wounds on a notepad, she realises the killer must have done the same, leading to the paper in the wounds. While Sykes knew the patterns from memory, this new killer doesn't. She returns to the FBI office to examine the patterns from Sykes' murders and try to work out what they mean. There, Pierce has found the letters that Sykes sent to Princess, in my comments, and found a code within them that he is deciphering. Mm. Boobies upside down on a calculator. <laughs> Eight zero <laughs> As the pair work on the case, Ward gets a phone call from Catherine, who tells Ward that she has all the pieces she needs to solve the puzzle. Ward asks her if she already knows who the killer is, but Catherine just hangs up. At that moment, Ward and Pierce are alerted that another woman has been attacked, but a nearby police officer intervened and the killer fled into a condemned shopping mall. Ward and Pierce join the police as they sweep the dingy mall. 
and realise that the MO doesn't match any of the killer's previous murders, or any of Sykes's. After some tense action, they corner the attacker and realise it's Serena Barnes, the other fan they interviewed. Mm. As she's arrested, she says that she only did it to prove that her love for Sykes was just as real as this other killer's. Idiot. Multiple killers competing for another killer's love. <laughs> Sordid sexual killing triangle. Seedy LA backdrop yeah, fucking yeah. nightmare. Yeah. Love it. Ward drives to Catherine's place and demands to know what information she's keeping hidden, saying that more people will be hurt and killed the longer this goes on. Catherine tells Ward that she spends all her time asking questions, and that Catherine will help only her if she can stay silent for 10 minutes. Uh-oh. Ward remains silent as Catherine begins to undress her and kiss her body, oh. and the two have sex. Oh. Does she stay quiet during this, Tim? No. <laughs> <laughs> Such a definitive answer. <laughs> it's because no. we locked eyes. <laughs> I could see the earnestness and she was like, no. no. <laughs> that is impossible. Okay. Afterwards, Catherine tells Ward that the murders aren't just about finishing what Sykes started. It's about making up for what the two shared and what was lost. Ward receives a call from Pierce that he's cracked the cipher in the letters and returns to the FBI office. You gotta come see this. Classic. The decoded letters indicate that Sykes and his princess, in inverted commas, were in love, and also hint that she may have been pregnant with his child when he was executed. Mm. As Pierce attempts to narrow down the birth records based on the dates of the letters, Ward steps outside for a cigarette. Gazing at the night sky, she recalls Catherine talking about the Perseids and comes to a realisation. All of Sykes' kills took place during the annual meteor shower, and the patterns stabbed into his victims were constellations in the Perseus family. Nice. Bring in some astro- you know the way to my heart, Tim. Bring in some astronomy. <laughs> Loving it. Based on his previous victims, only one constellation remains. Andromeda, Perseus's lover. Mm. Poring over the birth records, Detective Pressfield spots a name he recognises. Helen Fisher, one of the jury members from when Sykes was convicted. Bringing up her records, they realise that Helen Fisher is Andy Starling, the prison doctor. She changed her name a few months after the case, and then got a transfer to Sykes' prison six months before he was executed. Oh. Oh, that's the big... The records also show that her child was killed in a car accident a few months ago, the final trigger that sent her over the edge. The FBI raids Dr. Starling's house, but she is not there. As they search the property, they find the corpse of Sykes laid out in her bed. Whoa. How? Hornet. No. <laughs> the police issue a B-O-L-O. A B-O-L-O. A B-O-L-O. Be on the lookout for. Yeah. For people who don't know their police terminology. Yeah. For Dr. Starling and Ward calls Catherine, thanking her for the help in cracking the case. Shortly afterwards, Catherine's doorbell rings. Expecting Ward, she answers it only to find it's Dr. Starling. Oh, no. Well, oh, yes. We'll find <laughs> out. Starling attacks Catherine, oh, attempting no. <laughs> to strangle her. But Catherine is able to break free. As the two face off, Catherine tells Starling that she's a rank amateur and a dumb bitch to boot. Whoa, oh. Tim. Tim. Fucking hell. 18 rating. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And claims that Sykes was just using her. Catherine says that she is the real Andromeda, revealing her tattoo as proof. Mm. 
and tells Starling that she and Sykes had a relationship that went beyond ego, beyond petty manipulation. Confronted with these facts, Starling backs out onto Catherine's balcony, and from outside, a just-arrived ward shoots her in the shoulder. Rushing upstairs, Ward finds Catherine and goes to check on Starling. The heavily wounded Starling lurches out of the darkness with the ice pick, but rather than attack either woman, she stabs herself in the stomach, attempting to mark mm. herself in the same way as her victims. Ward struggles with her, trying to grab the blade, and Starling eventually collapses to the floor, dead. In the aftermath, Catherine tells Ward, I told you you had the potential to be dangerous. Once Starling's body has been taken away, Ward tries to make sense of the whole series of events. But Catherine tells her to trust me, you hang around enough killers, you eventually learn that some people are just broken inside. Also a very 90s conclusion. <laughs> the pair make love! But we see that as Catherine lays back in the bed, she is imagining Sykes having sex with her instead. Mm. And the ambiguity remains. Mm. Tim, um, I'm going to jump right in here. Okay. That was really good. Yeah, I was thinking the same that thing. That was really 90s, really a proper like erotic thriller kind of thing. Um, you literally had me guessing as we were reading. Yeah, that was very <laughs> which, good. Which says a lot, I think, because a lot of the, we, we talk about this often, like the the nature of how cinema works and how like it's a visual medium and all this kind of stuff. And as much as it's us reading the pitches and you guys listening to it, it's such a different experience to actually watching a film. Oh, entirely. Like, mm -hmm. The reveals and the way you structure everything has to be done so differently. Mm -hmm. But you mm -hmm. actually had me guessing of like, what the fuck is this going on there? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a change in the name there and all that kind of stuff. The fact that you could do that with, you know, 2,000 words in a yeah. Google Doc rather than a <laughs> two-hour movie or a 90-minute movie or whatever. It's a really, yeah. really impressed. Yeah. If you oh, did... it's three hours, 49 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, take everything back. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> at least two and a half hours that is just sex yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then some really rushed plot um no and again i've got a basic instinct <laughs> yeah i think i think the things that really sell it to me is genuinely um kind of like we're discussing with the time cop thing trying to figure out the director and stuff it's like when you get to the aspect like ah but if it's this i can see that working yeah 100 percent. director cinematographer um laura dern is a big thing here yes i think a handful of other people in that role, it would be quite shit. Weirdly enough, I not, not I, the other story. I mean, you know what I mean? It wouldn't, wouldn't I, work. I had a an instant like think thought about this, and I don't know if it was triggered by again one of the other character names. Starling talks about Hannibal. Jodie Foster would also make sense in that role, I think. Feasibly, yes. But I'm not not to dismay or you know mm. say anything about Laura Dern. No, 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 no. Which was just another thing of like that's not um oh me fixing also, this. Foster that was being a, like, a gay person oh, yeah. as well. Exactly, mm. yeah. yeah, bringing that element into it as well. Come out at that point, but doesn't I matter. I don't but think nah. so. Acting, but yeah, yeah. Instantly, that was like ah oh, yeah, that would also make sense. But yeah, I think yeah, yeah. yeah, I can totally imagine Laura Dern doing this as a powerhouse performance. <laughs> I know what you mean, but that, that's kind of the point. It's it, it is it feels like. It feels like this exists, is what I'm saying. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. that we don't, other things we don't do aren't to the same caliber. I'm just saying that you've nailed the time period. You've nailed all the... Is it, I mean, your caveat at the start, for example, your, your preface mm -hmm. saying, I've done some things that are going to be... Yeah. You know, I suppose I had to say, yeah, because you made a basic instinct too. And we touched on it that like, oh, they found a condom. Must be a woman then. Mm -hmm. it's like, exactly. It's like, yeah, that's a, that's a cop and a detective mm -hmm. in the 90s. That yeah. Sounds and instantly we were like, well, it could be a dude. I uh, much yeah. we joke about the posh wank thing. Like, <laughs> that, that could be a condom used in a homosexual relationship. Of course. Like, but in the 90s mindset. Yeah. 
got to be a woman, right? Oh, not yeah, a yeah. female serial killer and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I was, <laughs> it was going to be Viagra originally, and then I had to Google when, when Viagra came, out. came yeah. out, and it's like, oh, no, not till 98, apparently. Yeah. Oh, wow. Still be describing what EMPs are in the Matrix. You think, really? In 99, you'd know what that is? Yeah. Viagra is the thing that came into consciousness <laughs> in terms of films. I want to say mid 2000s. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. but um, yeah, and I think the thing is that this film, in my opinion, this pitch, this structure is sold on the atmosphere, in my opinion. 100%. I think, yeah. and I love the fact that the fact that you moved it from San Francisco to Los Angeles it was adds, a good It show. adds a layer of sleaze to it, doesn't it? And yeah. Because San Francisco has mystery and charm to it. Mm. And you think, but I would immediately start thinking, I, I said it before, oh, Zodiac shit's going on here. Yes. But yeah. LA becomes more Black Dahlia kind of stuff. I'm thinking about other things that are being brought into the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the sort mm. of seedy history of it's a, LA. It's, like, I kind of, uh, I mentioned this when I was talking to you a few weeks ago, Matt, actually. Mm. Like, like, it is, obviously, Basic Instinct is neo-noir, but it's kind of interesting because when we think of noir, a lot of stuff, like, the crimes are, like, big companies or, like, City Hall or someone in power, like... Insurance doing, scams. Yeah, it's doing, like, insurance scams or, like, real estate, like, property shit. Like, and obviously people have died as a result of it, but, like, it turns out to be this, like, big conspiracy. And obviously Basic Instinct doesn't have that because mm. that would not work at all with what Basic Instinct is about. No. So I was, like, when I was going into this, I was, like, I'm kind of, like, I'm not sure I can do just, like, another kind of, like there's a killer and a web of like people who it might be. And so I, I went more into the kind of, like we say, like the Hannibal kind of serial. Yeah. Killer yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think moving it to Los Angeles helps keep that because it's such a classic noir city. Like it helps keep a bit of that atmosphere and that neo noir Chinatown type. Definitely. Stuff. And also most importantly, and this is something that so many sequels do not get right. Um, Catherine is not the lead. Tramel is not the main character. Yeah. She mm, is still yeah. this enigmatic, strange oddity. She is still mm. this confident, cocky dickhead, basically. Yeah. But but she's so mysterious to the audience. We don't follow her as like a main character. And I know basically too, she's I was like, well, is she main character? It's like, yeah, she might as well be. Yeah, she pretty much is. Mm, yeah. yeah. And like we said it takes away the mystery. Like yeah. yeah. It makes it all very concrete. Um and that, that, that showing flashbacks at the end, Basic Instinct 2, ruin that ambiguity. This one here presents the idea that, again, um, as much as Trammell is not the specific killer in this specific instinct, mm. we still don't know what um, her history is exactly. It's not mm. addressed because we're not talking about that. We're talking yeah. about the fact that she's still a dangerous individual who is seductive and takes people in and yeah. Yeah, I thought about referencing the first film more and then I was yeah. just like, but it's ambiguous and you, that's the reason it works. Well, that's my only question really and it's not really a critique, it's genuinely just, mm. would this be a throwaway line? What's the, do we explain Douglas at all? Because it's hard. I don't think he wants I, because it doesn't need it and yeah. who would she be talking to about it anyway? Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, I think it might... Post-coital conversation between Dern and... <laughs> I think the place it might come up is right at the very beginning when they're like, oh, like it turns out he talked to this woman a lot and, and Dern's character like recognizes the name would be because mm. like, oh, she's that crime writer who was mixed up with a bunch of stuff in San Francisco a few years ago. Kind yeah, of, yeah. And make that maybe Got the that limit. cop kicked off the force. Yeah, something like that. that. Take whatever. 
yeah, I, I don't think it's not. I don't think it's absolutely necessary. But at the same time, one thing that Basic Instinct Two has going for it, weirdly enough, by moving it to London, you don't necessarily need to worry about Michael Douglas too much. Yeah, it's odd, but then you're also like, yeah, but I get it. Whereas if it's Los Angeles, again, it's the whole like, yeah, but it's a New City. Yeah. Um. So yeah, no, I I I get that, and I think the, it, it's. I say it's not necessarily a critique. It's me trying to think. Well, would do you need it? Is is it actually mm. going to add anything? And it's you know, it, it kind of the idea. I don't want her to be hung up on him because mm. the a the idea is like well, well she doesn't care. She yeah. doesn't care. She's not hung up on anyone. And yep. then the 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 kind of one of the twists of the film is like oh no, like Sykes actually got into mm. her head to a certain yeah, degree, exactly, and yeah. so like which if, again is hinted at with the whole Roxy thing, right? Like. Mm. She seems to actually have a grieving it, yeah. moment there mm. that she doesn't have for anyone else. Yeah, mm. and then there's that little kind of like wavering moment for her, and I think you've mm. delved into that. And I think you mm. also explore that with the fact that the central kind of sexual relationship that he has is with another woman as well. Yes, which again ties into the Roxy thing of mm. like she has she experiences. I think as much as we talked about, like Catherine is a bisexual character mm. and having that representation for her. Yeah. She has, and this is very common for a lot of bisexual people. Again, I'm not one myself. I'm not speaking for that community. Mm. People I've spoken to, my friends and stuff, and people talk about this like it's not a equal footing thing for for experiencing relationships with the same gender yeah, yeah, yeah. as it is with an opposite gender. Some people are like, oh, I can have relationships with women, but uh, I only I'm only physically attracted to men, or the other way around, sure, or sure, whatever sure. it is. There's a there's a myriad of different options. There's a, you know, mm. it's not a binary system. Yeah. How bisexuality, let alone the fact that sexuality is not a binary system. Mm. Let me get this and straight. You've had three ex-girlfriends and two ex-boyfriends. You can't be considered a bisexual. Oh, and, and that's, that's not even number. And that's the classic thing, right? It's the like, oh, I went through a phase at college, oh, which, yeah, yeah, which yeah. Catherine does. We have mm. that whole thing of like, true, true. oh, me and Beth had a thing and blah, 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 mm. blah. It's like, well, it's clearly more than that because mm. that's the real stereotypical thing. And I think yeah. you did mm. an interesting thing there of having... Uh, Ward be the central character essentially and having her sexual tension be so different to what Nick's is in the first one. Horny Michael Douglas. Horny Michael <laughs> Douglas. Sleazy, horny Michael Douglas is such a different character and yeah. Dern would have such a different approach to Douglas and again mm. to you know the character of Glass and mm. him basically being a, a weird kind of, like we said, a few steps further away from Nick's character in the first one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I think like I would want that say like we mentioned like they're kind in Basic Instinct 2 not our version they're kind of trying to go for this like idea that he's like repressed and holding all yes. that back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think I would want like Dern to kind of hit those same notes but I sure. trust her and especially oh, Jane Campion 100%. to be able to get that a lot definitely, better. Definitely. Um, I think so. I think Dern in particular, and like I said, Jodie Foster as well, have that kind of air to them where they can take themselves very seriously in in an appropriate way, and I think <laughs> would be able to maintain that kind mm. of delicate balance between that fragile bubbling. You use the term bubbling under the surface mm. to describe what what glass is, is mm. apparently and should be. Mm. I think that's a perfect description of what you've done with Ward. There is having this little. There's something more to her. There's something different going on. She has a, such a different relationship with Catherine than any of the other characters. Yeah, yeah. There is that little, mm, that little something bubbling away underneath that's very interesting and very intriguing. Yeah. Basically, I love it, Tim. It's really good. Need some Joe Goldsmith, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> more synths. But the synths, Matt. The synths. 
The LA oh, synths. Think synth about that. Too much for me. I mean, I get it. I get it. I get it. You're like Gary Newman. That synth <laughs> in this moment. <laughs> You're the alone. only person I know who's a Gary Newman fan. That's true. That's true. I do like those. But that's not the point. <laughs> um, no, it's a great fix. Yeah. I, 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 I have no like no. Or why I'd redo this or change this. Or was, and again, I was captivated the whole way. I think the cast is fantastic. I think director yeah. is inspired and great yeah. as well. Title as well. Space Instinct 2 with the numerals is literally yeah. fine. <laughs> it doesn't need a subtitle. It doesn't need it. It's good. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna say something bold here. Oh. I think that's one of your strongest pitches ever. Wow. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't argue with that. I think mm. that's fair. Because because it's so horny. Yeah, it's so horny. The Tim, you have you're in your dug element, your then, own <laughs> fucking horny grave <laughs> with your giant, your, your empty spade, your empty Sykes grave. Yeah, <laughs> just crunch, ah, digging myself in this hole. What are you doing? Bury me alive in my own mm. filth. God damn, Tim. Yeah, um, but that's the thing. Really it, good. It wasn't. Um. It was appropriately sexual, is one yeah. thing I'm getting for the for the film. It doesn't feel like it's ever being exploitively stupid. Or... <laughs> we, we didn't have an awkward moment where Matt or I had to read an entire paragraph of how Tim imagined sex between two yeah. women. <laughs> <laughs> and they have sex. Good luck, Jack. It's an excruciating detail for the yeah. next seven sentences. But... <laughs> oh, good. I think the thing is, it, like the... Um... Like we always point out in these pitches, some things we go into detail on for its nuance of the story and so on mm. and so forth and, to get the eyes across. And now there's a car chase. Now there's an action scene. That's right. Now there's a sex scene. Yeah. Yeah. Some some magical wizard shit happens, mm. which is how Tim describes the sex <laughs> that's, scene. That's, that's how ladies do it, right, guys? <laughs> that's how I describe all my sexual encounters. Magical wizard shit. Oh, I'm no, not going to challenge it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great fix. Great fix. Third way through the season. Yeah. Listeners, if you agree with us or disagree with us, we'd love to hear your feedback. Let us know what you thought of Tim's Basic Instinct 2. Did it live up to the horny Tim meme that has taken over the Discord? <laughs> um, I can't wait for this to be like going... For the people on the Discord to see this, and I want to screenshot the page where it's just <laughs> full of horny Tim emojis <laughs> the whole time. It's just going to be wall-to-wall horny Tim, and I'm so ready. Mm. Like I said, you can contact us through the Discord, you can find all of our Twitter, all of our social media and stuff like that. We are Sequelizers and all of that. Or you can go to Sequelizers.com, find the links for everything. Whether that's the live streams, whether that's the merch, whether that's the Discord I just mentioned, whether that's the Patreon, whether that's all the podcast platforms, Sequelizers.com is the place to go to follow us on all of those different things. Subscribe and review and, yeah, join the community. We, we welcome anyone and everyone. It's a fantastic group of people on the Discord. We have great interactions on Twitter as well. Come and join us. Come and join the conversation. And I think we'll uh, have a very interesting follow-up to this. I'm really, really intrigued to see what the listeners think. Because, like I said, that's one of my favorite pitches Tim has, uh, has ever done. And I wonder if the, the listeners will be feeling as, as strongly positive as I am. Mm -hmm. I think they often do. So They often mirror your opinion. No, I think I think they, I know they, what you're saying. Yes, yes, when, yes. when we have a strong pitch, I think the, the listeners reacted in a, in a similar kind of way. Yeah, because we obviously talk it through in such detail as well. Mm. People go like, I can see the reasons. I understand yeah, yeah, yeah. why this is good or bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you'd like to follow me or contact me on the social medias, I am JLW Chambers on basically everything. Like I said, I'm also active in the Discord as well, so you can contact us directly there as well. Matthew, how can people... Uh, Stalk you through the sleazy LA night on the internet. Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. Uh, you can go to cheeseman.com and see the things I make. You can go to theredrackhand.co.uk and see the things I review. Tim, if you were going to like write down and journal all the 
filthy, sleazy things you were going to do and then pass it off as, what? It was just a tweet. Where would we be able to go to find that? Uh, you could go to my Twitter account, <laughs> trivia underscore lad, which is a, uh, a litany of my disgusting sexual encounters. <laughs> and then also just me retweeting memes and jokes about the X-Men. One of those things is true. <laughs> one of them is not true. We'll let you work it out, listeners, by Tim going and like finding one Twitter. Exactly. Tim X-Men. Sex men. Sorted like. sexual <laughs> encounters. Ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with something different, but not too different. Kind of a bit of a bit of a bit of a link at times. Yeah, yeah. We, it's almost like we've planned this season out. We haven't, for the record. No. To have links <laughs> and stuff going through. Like, mm. for example, I had Verhoeven from Time Cop. Obviously, Verhoeven mm. directed the first Basic Instinct. We've got, kind of got these little threads and ties running through the season. Our open trilogy of the American institutions of history, the uh, police, and uh, the prison system. Sure. <laughs> sure. Let's go with that. And uh, also time travel. And, and time, time travel. travel. Yeah. yeah. The, the fourth dimension of American <laughs> exploits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll be back next week. Until then, thank you very much for listening. See you then. Call yourself on.